Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to give a huge, huge thank you to our sponsor, and that is The Daily Job Hunt. You can go to crash.co backslash daily and sign up. It's free, so no excuses, folks. Basically what it is, is it's a little bit of advice, it's a little encouragement, and sometimes it's just a straight kick in your dick to get you up off the couch and motivated to go find that job of your dreams or if you're so inspired to go the entrepreneurial route. Either way, I've I've been subscribed for about a week now, even as someone who's essentially retired, and this isn't really applicable to me, I still find it really valuable and inspirational. I hope that anybody out there that has DM'd me saying, hey, Clint, what should I be doing? How should I, how should I go about formulating my path, my plan, my career? Start here, it's really simple. Go to crash.co backslash daily, subscribe, and you will receive in your inbox for free the Daily Job Hunt. It's just inspirational stuff, educational stuff, and it's free. Support those that support the creators that you love. Share the love. Appreciate you. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a guest I've been waiting to talk to for a very long time, and I'm sure you guys are just as excited to hear from him as I am. Vin Armani. Welcome aboard. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I just got done reading your book, Render Under Caesar, and it is spectacular. I, oh, thank you. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I feel like this book came to me at the right time in my life. It's uh, I'm not I'm not the fate type, but the more the more I I live and I experience and I start to see like these trend lines, I'm just like, man. This just feels right. Like just reading this book just feels right in this moment. So I hope that uh, my audience will go out and get it. I think it will be tremendously valuable to them. Thank you. I, some people, this book really came as a result of what I say is me being called. And, you know, I, I, I wrote about this in my second book, Self-Ownership, but I've had this notion for a long time that there is an organizing principle Something like the same that's a communal consciousness. It's been described in many ways, but certainly, you know, this the notion of God or gods has has been there for a long time, but that there is some sort of an organizing principle, and that in many ways we are as products of our culture and pieces of it that you know we get called and things appear in the zeitgeist. I mean, even that term zeitgeist is really referring to this, that it's like there's this organizational principle that's underneath it. And so I do have a feeling and the feedback from this book has been similar. It's what led me to write the book. And I think it's also what's leading people to find the book is that, that you know, they're being called, people are being called. What exactly we're being called to do, I think still is kind of nebulous and we're still trying to figure that out, but we're definitely being called to rally around some concepts and some ideas. And I think that this is just a normal part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And it just hasn't happened on such a scale in a very long time. 
certainly many generations, but it's definitely happening now. Well, I think that this perfectly ties into a line from your book early on. You said that choosing transformation is choosing death. And yes, I had never, I had never considered it that way. Um, as someone who feared death for much of my life, uh, it's, it's interesting because I'm also very open to transformation. And mm-hmm. so I think that I had kind of a rudimentary understanding of death early on. And, and mm-hmm. I hope, I hope that my perspective, uh, perspective of it is evolving. Um, so what did, what did you mean by that? I, it, you obviously the chapter describes it beautifully, but, uh, for those that might be confused. So I, I, I do use in the book, I use the example of, you know, I'm talking about the difference between transformation and change. And so the idea that change is what the bird undergoes in that, you know, a bird is born and it's a baby bird. And if you've ever seen a little baby bird that's just hatched and waiting and stuff, it's like, yeah, it doesn't have the feathers. It's not fully grown into its body, but the body plan is there. Like mm-hmm. it's a bird, you know. <laughs> It's just, it needs to get bigger. It needs to fill out sort of the same thing as, you know, I have children watching my, when they pop out, I mean, it's a little human, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a little human and it's, <laughs> it's going to steadily change and grow in this gradual manner. But the, the body plan is laid out. Whereas the, whereas transformation or metamorphosis is what's undergone by the butterfly. So you look at a caterpillar that ain't even close to a butterfly. I mean, not even close, not even the same body plan. And when that, of course, it's not doing it consciously, but when that caterpillar goes into the cocoon or the chrysalis, the life of the caterpillar is over. Like that's caterpillar suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, What emerges will not be a caterpillar if anything emerges at all, right? Because that's a pretty dangerous scenario going into that that's the most dangerous and, and exposed and vulnerable that that creature is going to be throughout its entire sort of, it may, and it may be the end of its life. So we have these moments, we all change and we all grow. And I think that we have culturally a, there is an ethos of change, but it does appear that there's a percolating ethos of transformation that's coming up. So, you know, if you go back two generations or so, the idea was like this steady change or even, even, you know, myself in my youth, that the idea was, well, how do you live your life? You know, starting at elementary school, it's like you go through your elementary school, then your middle school, your high school, you try to succeed as best that you can. Then if you go off to college, this is like the pinnacle ideal, right? It's like more school, Then while you're at school, you interview and you find some jobs and then you go into another job. And and at the beginning, it's like entry and it's kind of like school again. And you just and you just keep going and then you rise up and rise up and rise up. Now, that plan doesn't work anymore. I think the generations that are around know that that plan doesn't work. But that was the plan. Mm -hmm. That was the idea. That was what our culture was built to provide. And now what we see is that doesn't work. And at the same time that people are realizing that doesn't work and that transformation is required, that the idea that, you know, for somebody coming up now who's, you know, college age, they're not going to retire from the company that they begin with, with their first job. But that was very much the case for, say, somebody in the 1950s. They might that it might be their first job. I've only ever worked at this one place. 
you know, and really they could anticipate possibly switching jobs every two years, depending upon the field that they're in, certainly in the tech field, like myself, you know, the idea that, oh yeah, two years here and two years there and three years here and four years here. And two, and it's like, yeah, you move up or you move laterally or you change, you know, but it's not the same company. And so you move around and all of these are transformation because to take that next step is to die to the step that you were in. Mm -hmm. So in order for you to, to take that next job at that other company, you have to quit the job that you're at. And that, and that is, that has, that has fundamentally been a, a, a death scenario, a, a death metaphor uh, to, to, to leave your job, to voluntarily choose unemployment was to voluntarily choose to die basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and that you would fight tooth and nail to hold on to your job. I mean, that's the whole kind of um, unionization movement, right? The, the underlying presupposition and axiom was the, 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 the pinnacle of employment is to never leave, to never lose that job. <laughs> you start with this job as a member of the union and you keep that job for the rest of your life. And the union is set up for you to do that because to lose that job is death. Right. And so we are, and so now you see that this entire vein of transformation. So pers people, personal development, you know, these people want to make these leaps of transformation. And in order to do that, you have to die to your old self. Mm -hmm. And, and it really is that life is over. That life yep. that you previously led is over. It's a, it, it effectively you're, you've died. That may mean giving up family and friends and things that you had believed in and, you know, all of that. So that's, that's pretty much, that's, I mean, that's the gist of it. And I think that it is helpful for people to, to think of it as death and to get, to, to accept that. And it, it helps you to approach your own death as, as a, a transition, as a transitionary period. Yeah. And I think that, it's funny because I mean this also applies to relationships too. Uh, of course, as someone who recently went through a breakup, it's like this is that is the emotion. It, it mm -hmm. you you even have a mourning period if you're, in my opinion, mm -hmm. if you're handling it properly. Um, so yeah, it's I've I've had a few phases of really like great leaps in my life where mm -hmm. I, I achieve really extraordinary things, and then I kind of get into this this rut. And my mental health degrades and, and I start to have anxiety and depression and all these other mm -hmm. things. And then it almost is obligatory. Like it's almost mm -hmm. necessary that I have this death of that current Clint mm -hmm. myself. And then I'm able to be reborn as a better version of myself. And, and I, you know, I, I hope that that's a universal. I hope that, I hope that mo most people experience that and embrace it because Oftentimes it's, it's much easier to just say to yourself, well, everything is going decently well. I'm going to maintain this path and, and not try to evolve and not try to step forward. I mean, maybe if it's not conscious, but it's just like you get in a groove and, mm -hmm. and, uh, in my experience, it's, it's so deeply beneficial if you're able to let that go to just mm -hmm. like release your, your own being and, and evolve. So I thought that was a great point. Well, it does seem that if we look at longstanding, I don't want to use necessarily the word indigenous, but they would fall into it. But let's just say traditional cultures, 
So let's step out of modernity for a minute and let's go into traditional cultures. A, a systematized process of multiple transformations in a lifetime seems to be the norm. So there are these ritualistic transformative moments. So uh, usually some form of uh, a, a ritual baptism at a certain age of a child to say you've made it past the period where you were not yet born because child mortality was so high for our ancestors, right? So somewhere around the six month to one year mark, there would be some thing that marked for everybody that this thing had gone into a transformative place where, and, and sometimes that was actually when you would get a name as a child. Mm. In many traditional cultures, like for months, you wouldn't name the child, you know, because death was so close always, wow. you know, and then rites of passage, usually around the age of 12, between 12 to 14, you know, where you would undergo some ritualistic transformation. And at that point, your name may change again, actually. So in many cultures, you would have a child name and then you would have an adult name. This is mm -hmm. definitely true in many of the um, indigenous North Americans. So what we would say American Indian or uh, North American Native Americans. This was very, very true uh, in many of those societies that they would have a child name and then they would have an adult name after they had undergone a rite of passage, which was a death simulation in most cases. And then there would be something at a after you had become a parent. Obviously, that's a natural one. But then there would be another one where your name might change again as an elder or uh, taking on a mantle of, let's say, a priest role or a shaman role, where, again, that aspect of you would die. And the old aspect of the civilian, and now you're a leader and a representative of your gods. You are a representative of God. You are a representative of the, the ancestral leaders of your tribe, etc. And so this was actually the norm for most, for some reason, that pattern, all of these people who weren't connected, it's not like it came from one another. That pattern shone through as the proper way to survive mm -hmm. for disparate ancestor groups that we had, you know, they all find this pattern of it's very important that these steps of transformation where you have multiple deaths throughout your life, actually, where you, you die as the old you and are reborn as a new you and everybody recognizes you as this. Mm -hmm. And it is just in our modern culture that came out of the industrial revolution where no, you're a cog in a wheel, so don't change. At best, you get a, you become a more efficient cog, uh, and then you can bring some more cogs underneath you, but don't change yourself spiritually and fundamentally as you are. Just continue on until you go with the program until you die, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and so clearly that wasn't sustainable because it's falling apart, and we're coming right back to where we had always started, which was transformation is important. Do you think that the, the trend away from that is part of the reason that we have such tremendous social discord that, that you have the youth of this country. So at each other's throats and at, at the throats of the elders in our society. I do. I do. I think that that is a, a fundamental generational gap. I had said from the beginning of this COVID thing that so much of it is about 
basically the baby boomers being told that they would never die. So it is very much about death. Mm. The narrative that was brought to them was that they would live to see a time when they didn't have to die. And in, in many ways, that was part of the expectation. So think about things that were just fundamentally fatal to, you know, breast cancer, for instance. For, for, for baby boomers, if they're, even the people when they were children who were adults, if somebody, if a woman came down with breast cancer, she was probably going to die. Like, 99% of the time, there might be a miraculous recovery from, you know, 1%. She was going to die. Now, the expectation is you shouldn't die if you have breast cancer. Right. Like if you get breast cancer and you die, something went, something was fundamentally wrong. Right. Right. So you might and, have a lawsuit and, against the, uh, the exactly, doctor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so you think about that and you think about what is the underlying presupposition? The underlying presupposition is you are entitled to live forever. Mm -hmm. You are entitled to be exempt from the natural processes that were a threat and killed your ancestors. And that's how you get something like COVID mm. to where, oh, yeah, of, point. you understand what I'm saying? Yes, to where it's like, no, I am entitled to live forever. It doesn't matter that this doesn't kill children. That this, that, that this is basically of no threat to the average person under the age of 40 or 45, all of those people are going to have to give up all of their liberties and do all of this because I am entitled not to die. <laughs> right. No matter whether I've taken care of myself or not, it doesn't matter. I am entitled to never die. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we're at. That, that is the narrative. That right. is the underlying presupposition that gets us here. Mm -hmm. And so that is, so if you think about, oh, well, not having these transformations where you have died throughout your life to get used to dying and being reborn. When you took that away, this is Chesterton Spence, you didn't know the problem it solved. Hmm. So all of these cultures had wound up doing that. It's not, this is part of evolution. That means if, if you see it and these people were not connected and they all came, it's a solution. Right. Because, because these procedures took up a lot of time and energy. They devoted significant cultural resources to maintaining and executing these rituals, mm -hmm. which means they were fundamental to keeping them alive. Right. And, they and to helping them survive crises. And they only persisted because that culture persisted as correct you, as you described correct. so yeah no i think I, I made that point this morning um online that you know we went from if it saves just one life to mm -hmm. who cares about these six people that died from the jo johnson and Johnson mm -hmm. vaccine or they i don't even know if they died but they had uh you know terrible blood mm -hmm. clots and and it's just fascinating because i mean it's not even consistent really but but no. at the at the root of it it is an interesting phenomenon where we have decided that we are willing to sacrifice the young to preserve the mm -hmm. old. Correct. And, and we're willing to sacrifice society as a whole to preserve the old once again, or the infirmed or those that are yes. you know, on death's door, regardless of what we do. Yes. And, and ultimately that, that has been proven to be true with COVID is that 
it is really only an existential risk for those that are very close to death anyways. And then there's the rare, the rare exception where someone who's young and healthy gets taken out. And, you know, it, all of these lost lives are tragic. So I'm not trying sure. to downplay it, but I'm just saying the the sacrifice of the young for the old is a, is a trend line that I did not expect to witness, much less to have it, in my view, kind of come out of the blue. I, it, it's not, it's not the, yes. the culture that I believed I existed in. Oh, and that is key. Right. Because none of this would be happening if it will. First off, the people who are affected are generally the people who have political power. So, like, look at the average age of a governor, senator, the president, you know, all of these people. Right. We're talking 60 and over, at least 50 and over. Oh, yeah. Um, The idea, as you say, it seems as though it came out of nowhere. Right. So it's like the idea that some 70 year old person would be like, No, it's actually more important that like all of these children, that millions of children, uh, you know, are basically are subjected to psychological damage, which is what this is doing. And I mean, they're killing themselves. Kids are killing themselves. Right. So it's like the that's the that's the people who just couldn't deal with the trauma. But it's like just because they're not killing themselves doesn't mean they're not going to have trauma from this that is going to affect all of their entire life. Right. And the idea that a 70-year-old person would, sub- would say, no, that's fine, to subject children to that. Uh, it just, I think for most people, we think to ourselves, there's no way I would do that. Like, mm-hmm. if I was 70 I, and I'm looking at my grandkids, I'm like, I lived my life. Mm-hmm. I had a good life. I lived my life. But there's something particular about that baby boomer generation and the narrative of eternal life. Mm -hmm. They were on this cusp. They were on a technological cusp. So I don't think that, you know, I'm 42. I don't know how old you are, but you're probably within 10 years uh, of of me, I would say, right? So 38, yeah. Okay. So I don't think that that persisted into our generation. I, did, I think it didn't get to no, me at least. <laughs> no, I think we're I think we're well aware that uh, you know, while we'll probably live longer than our probably the, the few generations ahead of us, likely we will, that like death is coming. Mm-hmm. But I think that that we also had the benefit as the internet generation of honestly being exposed to more spirituality. Mm-hmm. Certainly than our, it was just, it's more in our face. It's more readily available. I can go onto YouTube and I can listen to, you know, everything from old Terrence McKenna to like some, some new, you know, Zen Buddhist, somebody who's going to talk to me about something to a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, you know, whatever. And to to Jordan Peterson, to Jordan Peterson. Right. (laughs) Right. And, and that I think is, that will mean that, that, our generation will not continue this on. It was like this weird blip, this very strange blip. And um, obviously had to do something with World War II mm-hmm. and sort of a, a, a universal global trauma about that. Uh, the, all of the death that took place, the atomic bomb, the Cold War that followed, all of these things. They, they were raised inside all of this trauma. And so it's their generation. Yeah. And, and really the key is going to be when they die off, which they will start doing probably in the next couple of years, but certainly within the next 10 years, this is going to be like a really important period 
uh, of what takes over after they're gone and then what is happening in parallel, what is being built in parallel, because there's going to be a big cultural vacuum that comes in. It's already being filled by, you know, it looks like big tech is what's going to fill in where these baby boomers are. And it's a very, very dangerous time because what comes after conceivably is, uh, is going to last for centuries mm-hmm. is, is my belief. So, so this is a, this is a time of like, yeah, our generation, particularly people in their, I'd say mid thirties to early fifties right now are absolutely crucial in terms of, of um, setting the stage for what's going to happen in the next hundred years, really. I completely agree. And I think that it makes sense because they came from the, the World War II, the death and destruction. And obviously that would give you a greater sense of survival. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you pair that with the, the 1960s and kind of the, the secular quasi-spiritual rebirth mm-hmm. type movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get away from God and you get away from a, yes. a, a belief in, in death really as being yes. a natural phenomenon. And then you get into the scientism and, and having technology that's going to evolve faster than we die off. And, you know, it's in some ways it's a beautiful concept, but I think it's, it's, it actually ends up in a dystopic hellscape. Like it, it seems natural to want to stay alive. Um, yeah, I mean, right. obviously we all do for the most part. Um, but if you, if you follow that logical thought to its, its end conclusion, if you're willing to do anything to stay alive, right. It, it really fucks things up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting notion. I had first heard this expressed when it was about American culture. And they said the reasons I forget who were the theor- social theorists who were saying this uh, or historians, but it just made so much sense that just by a process of, of uh, select self selection, that, Americans, and particularly those people who have spent generations in the West of America, Mm. so everything West of the Mississippi, it's like, why is all the innovation from there, right? Why is is there all of this exploration and innovation and all of that? And it's like, well, these places self-selected for groups of people who were exploratory by nature, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, it's not that the place in particular, but it's just like the commitment and the type of individual who would even find themselves in that place. They're already temperamentally one way. They're having children with each other. They're raising them in that environment. And so, of course, this is what travels through, right? Both sure. genetically and mimetically. Mm-hmm. So both of the nature and nurture combined, it's a selecting. And World War II, I think, really does represent that type of selection, but selecting for like a deep survival instinct, Mm -hmm. a deep, deep, deep survival instinct, because that's who made it through. Right. The people who didn't have that, you know, if, if you weren't, let's say neurotic, it, it, it actually, um, paranoia and neurosis, it would select for that. So if you're, because you would survive. Yeah. If you're a paranoid, neurotic, uh, Ashkenazi Jew, living in Germany in the early 1930s, you're the first one to leave. (laughs) Exactly. Right? So it's like the people who were more easygoing, not as neurotic and not as paranoid, ended up dead. Right. So when you look at what does the population of Ashkenazi Jews of Northern European descent worldwide look like after World War II, lo and behold, this whole 
there, there's the ideal of the like neurotic Jewish guy. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's like, well, that's why (laughs) it's if you weren't neurotic and you weren't paranoid, you die. You were dead. Yep. Right. And so, and so I think that there's a lot of, it was such heavy selective pressure on so many different groups of people. And this was like the first generation before we got a regression to the meme, to the mean, but to the mean, a (laughs) regression. uh, Yeah. uh, To the meme as well. A regression, a regression back to the mean. Right. Right. So so they're particularly their survival instinct is particularly high and they rejected the institutions that have helped us deal with our mortality, mainly the church. Right. Yeah, for sure. That so they had this. That's a that is a perfect storm that leads you to, oh, they all start dying off. We got covid. Right. Like that's it. This is this is what it is. And until they die off, it's only going to ramp up. The more they die off, Mm. the more this ramps up. And so, like I say, five to 10 years, we've got five to 10 years of of uh, of the ramping up of what we've seen so far. And I think that it is just purely due to that trauma. Man. In many ways, I think that's the that's the majority of what it is. That's going to be rough treading because this past year has yes. not been easy. Yes. Um, well, it's interesting because I and I'm sure this is not an original thought, but uh, in my episode 19, it was called "What Why America Is Still Worth Fighting For." I go into this mm. really flowery, flowery, lengthy description of why I love America so much, and it's the it's the mimetic freedom fighter and explorer, and, and yes. you know all of the people of America, not just those on the West Coast, but literally everyone that came here other than obviously the natives um were just adventurous savages yes that were like willing to sacrifice everything for an opportunity at a slightly better life and not even mm-hmm. a guarantee of it you know mm-hmm. um a very high probability of of death in on the trek and then those that go further west are even more crazy you yes, know these exactly, are like, exactly these are true true madmen that yes became the foundation of this of this nation and I think that's why I've struggled so hard to let go. I'm, I'm mm. struggling mightily to let go of my love of the foundational principles of this country, minus all of the negatives. I'm not going <laughs> to talk about the slavery and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm just saying the, the positive aspects, the things that yeah. we would love and the beautiful aspects of it and, and the, the rare um, ideas that came from that period and, and took such an unbelievable hold that they have, they have persisted through hundreds of years to get to someone like me who obviously I don't know any of these people, but it's still, it still resonates in my heart, in my being to like want to be free and to be willing to sacrifice everything to maintain that freedom. That's a, that's a lesson and a powerful one that like, I'm, I'm just struggling to give up on. And I guess I'm, I'm not really going to give up on it. It's just that I, I may have to give up on this land mass and yes, that, that itself is devastating. Yeah, that's so that's the key is separating out the idea from the place. And this is one that I see a lot of people having a difficult time with and even separating out the so it's separating out the idea from the artifact even. Mm -hmm. So when I say artifact, I mean, things like the Constitution Mm -hmm. and the Bill of Rights. Um, Spooner did a good job of disabusing me of my love for the Constitution, but I still I still hold on to those ideas passionately, you know. And that's and that's the key is like where where I think the problem is is that people they Spooner is right, like he's absolutely right. What he says sure. is right, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. 
<laughs> what he's right about is that the bathwater's dirty. Mm. But the ideas that were trying to be embodied in that document are that's the baby. Mm-hmm. That's the baby. Those are those are that's the vein that travels through. And so I've I've been using this analogy or this uh, maybe it's a metaphor, but I've I've said um, don't confuse the container with the contents, mm. the vessel with the contents. Mm-hmm. And this is true in so many organizations. This is what I've been speaking with people about, um, you know, as I've, as I've started to discover Christian orthodoxy now, and as I've seen the difference between, I was baptized Roman Catholic, my family's Mexican. So it's like Roman Catholicism as versus Orthodox Christianity. And Roman Catholicism is very much about the vessel. The vessel is incredibly important. That is the church. Right. And orthodoxy is incredibly concerned with the church as a vessel, not in and of itself, but that the entire reason that the church is there is for the contents, Mm -hmm. to protect the contents. That's beautiful. Right? So it's not about having this ornate container that you look at the container and you venerate the container and, oh, isn't this container so great? And we need to protect the container. It's like, no, 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 no. The container protects the contents if the contents are gone the container is nothing mm-hmm. right so it's like you need to make sure that the container is structure structurally sound mm. and so i think a lot of people you know the 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 murka it's it's murka they're container people right they can't tell you anything about the contents mm-hmm. second amendment i'm gonna wrap myself in a flag i'm gonna do and it's like yeah but what what is that right you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's the, it's, the document... it's not the paint job, right? Right. And does the it... and the document is a container. Exactly. Yeah. Does the document does the power come from the document, or does right. the, the power come from the ideas that, yes. that exist within it? And, and yes, for, for me, those ideas per, will persist, and they are they are impossible to extinguish. You know, like yes. it's they're not going anywhere. Yes. So I, I should probably relax a little bit. It's just like for me, I, because that document was so hard fought and because yes. it brought such unbelievable um, extended periods of human flourishing. Yes. It's, it's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, just to put it bluntly, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm scared that without it, without that, that document that we all kind of cherish that, that container that we all worship, can these ideas persist? And I know that you're obviously popularizing the concept of the dim age, it seems as if your answer is no, that they will not persist. They will, they will kind of go underground and then maybe reemerge yes. on the other well, side. They, well, they will persist. Right. But you know, this is, it, this ties right back in because what you're talking about is transformation. Mm. So what, what is, what we see is the container is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Right. So here we are, we value the contents and we have to look and we're seeing the container is corrupt. It's leaking. Okay. It's leaking. If we sit here with this container, the contents will leak out. And in a while, we will have nothing but the container. And we can perhaps say, well, it's no longer leaking, but that's because there's nothing left inside of it. Mm. Right. And we can keep repainting it and we can bejewel the container, but we've (laughs) lost the contents. Okay. So in that moment, I mean, and, and, and who hasn't had this type of feeling that it's like, 
like I've had cars that I've had that I loved, right? And to where, you know, ah, God, it's time. You know, like it's time for this, God, it's time for this car to go. And you're like, ah, like I had this, this fantastic Toyota truck. You know what I mean? That I had, <laughs> I had rebuilt the engine, 22 RE engine. I'd rebuilt it twice myself by hand wow. and built it all up and done all these things. And it's like, but then there comes a time and it's just like, oh God. And you don't want to give it up. You don't want to give it up. But it's like, look, I'm going to be walking. You know, it's either, <laughs> it's either give this thing up. It's either give this thing up. It's it, cause it eventually it just stops working. And I am the contents, right? Right. Right. right? right. I am the contents <laughs> and my needs is the contents. Sure. And so right now what's going to happen is now we've got to be on the search for a new container. Yes. And, and this, the thing is, this is the story because this is the Jewish story, right? Like the Ark of the Covenant. This is the story. The story is like the story of the people whose job it was to, to, ha- to deal with the contents, but the container did change. But it is a, a, a scary time when you've got to carry the, con- we're going to be carrying the contents in our hands for a while. Mm. right? Until we find the container to put it inside of, we're going to be carrying it around. And some might say that Christianity was that new container that, and look, the, the metaphor of the vessel is a, is so deep within Christianity. So the idea of the Holy spirit filling something, Mm -hmm. right? So first Mary is the vessel. Mm -hmm. She's the vessel. Like that's the mother of God. She is the vessel, mm-hmm. right? And, and the Holy Spirit, which was the contents, the spirit of God was the contents of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. So she is the new container. Mm-hmm. And then Christ himself, the, 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 the physical Christ is the, the container of the whole, he's the container. So yeah. like she first holds it and then it travels and creates the, the, the biological, and then he's the container. Mm-hmm. And, and his ministry then becomes the container, because then the idea is after Pentecost and all of that, he comes and he fills the apostles with the Holy Spirit. Then mm-hmm. they become the container. Wow. And, so, and so what you see is that it's like, we know this, this is the story that when the container becomes corrupt, because what does Christ do? He, he goes into the temple and he rips it apart. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he, that's the money changers tables. He's, he's going in there and he's like, the spirit of God is no longer in there. Mm-hmm. I am the container. Now it has moved into a new, that's nothing. Let's just, this is no longer the container. The temple was the container mm-hmm. at the center of it. It was a multi-chambered container, and at the center of it was the Holy of Holies. And in the center of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant with the Spirit of God inside. And Christ said, it is no longer there. It has become corrupt. We're in that stage, Mm -hmm. right? And so where are we now? Very much so, like, when they look back, this is the container. It will be... Liberty podcasts, mm-hmm. it will be new media that is the container because how is it spreading? This is how it's spreading, right? Dave Smith and I got into a little bit of a row, <laughs> and people came in the last week and people came to his defense, right? 
and, and, and they wanted to attack me, not because they didn't like me. And I got, and I got that right. And not because what I was saying was that it's not that they were rationally, it was irrationally because, and they said over and over, he's the one, it was his podcast that brought me to these ideas. Yeah. He was him as the container. He, well, yes, he's the container that is spreading it to them. Right. And so it's like, it's like me attacking the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so, but I get that. I understand that that's what's happening. Right. Yeah. And I don't begrudge them and I don't begrudge Dave and I don't begrudge anybody for that. Well, and, and I want you to, I want you to know from someone who was on the outside watching this, I felt like I was watching two Arks of the Covenant fight each other. <laughs> well, and, and no, and, and. Well, and you will, and this is very important, right? So that's also part of the process because Christianity was a container, but it's not like there's just one Christianity Hmm. and it's not like those containers haven't been competing Mm -hmm. throughout history and you need the competition. You, you, You need the competition and you also need someone to say, Hey, I see your container. I respect the fact that it's holding right now, but let me tell you what's coming down the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, there's a lightning storm coming and you, the thing that you've got there is going to burst into flames if lightning hits it. Mm-hmm. And you also have a little lightning rod sticking up. So it's <laughs> like, that's not a good container. Okay. Just, t- <laughs> just telling you. And it's like, that's our container. <laughs> that is our container. And it's like, look, man, no. I'm about the contents. Right. I'm about the contents, right? If you if you stick around that container, that lightning is going to blaze through all of you. Mm. That's our container. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fine. But you know, it's a process of natural selection. And it's like, don't listen. It's totally fine. Don't listen. I'm not going to stop pointing out. Sure. So what I so like what I said from the beginning and what I hope everybody would do is point out point out inconsistencies Mm -hmm. because an inconsistency is a fault in the container. Mm -hmm. It is, it is in the inconsistencies that the, the, so if you're looking at from a structural or architectural level, inconsistencies are false, right? If a, a consistent and coherent design there's not like some little, well, what is this over here mm-hmm. where it's like jury rigged? Like, right. what is it? Well, I couldn't really figure it out. So I had to make like this go over and this and all of that. And it's like, and that's gymnastics. Yeah. So when you see mental gymnastics, that's, that's jury rigging yeah. of your container. Right. And that is the point at which your container will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking for is, and, and, and this is Jesus overthrowing the money changers tables. That's exactly what he was saying, because what had happened in in the temple was that, you know, you were supposed to do sacrifices. It was about sacrifices, but they had figured out a thing where they were like, well, you can only you can't just sacrifice any animal. We have to, like, bless the animals. So and and they can only be blessed inside the temple and you're going to have to buy those animals. But you can only buy those animals with the special temple money that we've created. (laughs) So you're going to need to exchange the money that you have, the Roman money, it's not clean. Exchange it for the clean money. And he was like, yo, man, grifting, scamming, <laughs> scamming. He Hope was like, Jesus would be pissed. This is, yes, <laughs> this is a, this is completely inconsistent right. with what is supposed to be happening with this container. So therefore 
the Holy Spirit does not live here anymore. Gotcha. And so I need to kick these down and I need to take it on myself. Yeah, no, and I, I got the I got the critique personally just because I followed you both for a long enough time that I understood the the spirit that you were coming at it with. But it seemed to me that you were essentially critiquing the structural soundness. Yeah, you know, trying that to, is it. Trying to point out any inconsistencies in the plan from from my perspective, because in your book you talk about um, the value of martyrs. Yes. Are you yes. are you interested in preventing? us from martyring ourselves for this cause is that because because i view it i view it as a positive either way like even if dave sacrifices himself on the altar of the lp and and that's that's what his legacy is it may be the mimetic fire that lights the next guy who actually carries this message to to you know the promised land so to speak do you do you think that that's possible do you think that that's that's something to avoid what what is your perspective on it that is a very good and very interesting question and it really goes to what separates a martyr from just a guy that got killed sure right so they're different so what separates a martyr from someone who failed their mission that's really the question and it is what is your stated goal Mm-hmm. That's that's it, right? So what is your stated goal? It better be righteous. Yeah, and it has to be first off it has to be consistent. Okay. And it really for martyrs it is almost always about and this is something I've been talking about a lot lately. It's almost always about sovereignty. Mm. Almost always when you look at martyrs. So if you go back and like for instance read the lives of the saints, right? There's 2000 years worth of saints. The Orthodox have been canonizing people. I mean, St. Sophroni is a recent one. He's like 2019, he was canonized, right? So it's like, there have been saints throughout the whole time. And if you were, and many of them were martyred, many. And what it almost always boils down to is sovereignty. That whoever is martyring them, usually the state says, basically sacrifice, sacrifice your deeply held beliefs. Pledge allegiance to us, right? Our gods, our state, whatever it is, that's all you got to do. Pledge allegiance, give up what you've said, your principle, Mm -hmm. and, you know, then we will let you go. And it is the people who simply refuse, right? Simply refuse that are considered martyrs. Everybody else, if you, you know, like the, uh, the, the victims of the Spanish Inquisition are not generally considered to be martyrs. I see, I see and, your point, yeah. And the reason they're not considered to be martyrs is because the Spanish Inquisition was not leveled against the people who refused to convert. It was leveled against the people who said that they had converted, conversos, and then were found to be practicing their religion in secret. Right. And so... So you think he, Dave is practicing their religion in secret, kind of? He, he's a converso. Basically, the the LP is a converso organization. So if you are pro liberty and especially if you're Mm anti-war, you cannot be anti-war and want to take over a political party in the United States. You simply can't because and this is the reason why. If you were to take over that political party and you were to end war, right, outright, like unilaterally. The only way that you could do that is you would basically have to take over either or Congress or you would have to take over the presidency. 
Sure. At at which time you would be in control of the military industrial complex's budget or their uh, let, let's say their um, chain of command. Mm-hmm. Right. So but you are so your plan then, if you're completely successful, is that you take over control of the military industrial complex. Sure. Now, that is a heavy inconsistency. So that is, that is also a, a lack of understanding about yourself and who you are. Hmm. And Lord Acton, you know, this, this, the, the quote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. People need to know the entire history of that quote and what he's talking about. He's writing in a letter. Lord Acton was a, a devout Catholic, and he wrote uh, a Catholic, let's say, sort of journal in England at the time when the Anglican church was already primary, but he was a nobility. He was able to do this. He was being called to the carpet constantly because he would write histories of Catholic leaders, particularly popes. And he would call out, call them out. So it's exactly this. He would call out the popes for the corruption that they had done historically. And the church did not like this. They said, this is so disrespectful. And why would you try to turn Catholics away from Catholicism by pointing out these things that happened so long ago? And that this is, he's, this is in a letter. This quote comes from inside of a letter where he's basically explaining himself. And so he says, uh, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power tends, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the first thing that he's saying is, just power tends to corrupt. And he even says, whether it's coercive or just persuasive, even when, even when you don't have the power of guns, but you just have persuasive power. Sure. So like a preacher, right? So you see these big televangelists, you know, and then what happens? They're all corrupt. And he's saying, it's actually the power. It's actually just having the power. And you are not a special individual. And that the individuals who are righteous know this and don't pursue power. It is only people who don't know themselves that would pursue the power in the first place. Then he goes on to say, powerful men are almost always bad men. That's the next sentence. Almost always bad men. And this is a historian of the church. (laughs) So this is a a person. Pretty profound. This is a person who is studying the history of priests, (laughs) ordained (laughs) Christian priests. Right. Okay. And even even they were corrupted. And he said almost universally. Sure. So when I see somebody saying, we're going to take control of the most powerful, violent institution in the world. In other words, we are going to get absolute power and then we are going to abolish that power. I say, you don't know who you are. Okay. I see. You don't know your own heart. You don't know what it is to be human. And you've never had power ever. Because if you had, you would run as quickly as you can away from it mm-hmm. because you're not qualified. You're not a saint, not at all. And that if you look at history, all of the people who have made a difference in reducing violence, one of the main things was when offered power, they didn't take it. Gandhi is a prime example. 
Sure. George Washington. He didn't want it. Right. He didn't want it. The, 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 the person who you want to lead you is the person who has to be dragged kicking and screaming to lead you. I, I completely agree. I Anybody completely agree. who says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to take over this institution that has whatever amount of power. Now, remember, Lord Acton says coercive, coercive or persuasive. So even anybody who's talking about, we need to increase the size of my platform so I can have more persuasive power. It's like, ah, 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 you don't know who you are. Right. You should be dragged kicking and screaming to talk. Mm-hmm. People should have to force you. They should have to call you on the phone and be like, dude, hey, come and talk, please. <laughs> come and talk, please. That makes sense. Well, that's what I've been in, with my show. I have been imploring those that do not want to be involved to get that's involved it. because that's it. Because I I completely agree with you that that power, ninety nine percent of the time will absolutely ruin someone. My I guess my belief is that the situation is so dire and the military industrial complex is so pervasive and so so unbelievably detrimental to not just American life but humanity across the globe that mm-hmm. I would still prefer to see somebody who thinks that they would get into power and dismantle it as opposed to these obvious narcissistic sociopaths that simply want it so that they can increase their power. And, and mm. I, I'm of the belief that Dave is that person that, that wants to, that genuinely believes in that position of power, he would dismantle the state. Now, I, I understand your hesitancy and your concern that he may not be that guy. And, and I don't oh, know. No, it's not that he may not be that guy. You know it, huh? 100% he's not that guy. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, it's not, it's not even that he may not be that guy. That's interesting because I, I feel like you could be that guy and you don't, and you don't, you wouldn't even acknowledge that either, I assume. I wouldn't, there's no way that I would go through the process. By I, going I through the, do it, yeah, but I'm by just going through the position? process. No, by going, well, first, it, well, yeah, but that's a, so, you can't get into the position without going through a process that gets you into the position. <laughs> Certainly. Right. And so I am actually someone who has had considerable persuasive power, like pers- considerable persuasive power over individuals. Sure. Um, and that and and as much as even I was aware, I wasn't even aware of the ways in which it was corrupting me and who I was. Right. And most people are not. Most people are not. And Dave Smith is definitely not. And I'm not trying to jump on him because it's like nobody is. That's that's kind of the point, <laughs> right? That's kind of the point is that nobody is. And the, the militaries and military power is never going to leave. It's a part of the human, a part of human existence, like, it has always been there and because there will always be psychopaths born. There will always sure. be new psychopaths born. And, so, and if you're not a psychopath, you cannot outcompete a psychopath to, to gain military power. I guess. And so anyone who is going through that process, the power on the other side, well, what do they have? What are you talking about? I've like, I've, for instance, and I'm not trying to jump on him, but just because this is an actual like concrete so that I don't use anything hypothetical. Sure. He has literally said, abolish the CIA. Right. Okay. So 
let's just stop for a second on that. Okay. <laughs> let's just, let's just stop for a minute. Okay? okay. This is the most powerful intelligence agency in the world. In the they history have of the to, world, probably. In the history of the world, they have tools that we are not aware exist. They have operations in existence that we are not aware of. They have no problem killing people, uh, assassinating them, or doing all kinds of other things to <laughs> right. them, right? To ruin their reputation, to do whatever. The thought that you would run even just that, that you would even just go out into the press with a platform and talk about my goal is to abolish the CIA <laughs> and that you would get and that you wouldn't basically just be destroying yourself, your family and anything that you had and anyone around you is you're completely unaware. So it's either one of two things. Either you are so deluded that people should stay as far away from you as they possibly can because you're just going to get them caught up and hurt because you're because you're living in a fantasy world mm -hmm. or two you're just grifting in which case everybody should get away from you because you're going to grift on them mm -hmm. there's only two options there there's only two options there isn't a third and while it may be nice to see someone who's doing that right it may be nice to see them doing that. That's it, it's not going to happen. Right. And and again, one of two things: either one, at a certain point, they reach that point, and then they're just corrupted by the CIA itself. Sure. That it's like here, become controlled opposition. Here's fifty million dollars. What's fifty million dollars to the CIA? Nothing. Right. But this fifty million dollars <laughs> is a lot to Dave Smith. Sure. Yeah. It would set his family up. It would at least put him in a moral quandary. Do I can do I look at him and say, this is a man who could not be corrupted for $50 million? Absolutely not. Okay. No one who says no one who says I need a bigger platform. Give me a bigger platform. Let me go talk in front of people. Let everybody more people see my face. And I'm like, that person won't be corrupted by $50 million. Of course they will. <laughs> That's exactly the person who's corrupted by that. That's interesting. Right. I, I still view it as I guess uh, maybe I'm I'm projecting myself onto him, but I, I, I view it as a willingness because I am. You don't know anything about me, so I'll just give you a brief background. Sure. But I I became an entrepreneur, mortgage, private money mortgage broker, like a decade ago. I'm essentially retired. I'm 38, so I did it pretty early. And yeah. And um, I guess from my vantage point, I don't have anything to gain from this. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get rich off of a podcast. I'm already financially free. This isn't necessary. But the way I view it is that the, the ideas that we hold within the container that is us are so beautiful that I am willing to sacrifice myself. And I, and I, I switch back and forth between you know, self-survival instincts and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a willingness to be a martyr for this cause. And, and I, I see that in Dave as well. And I'm, I'm not sure I'm right. I think you might be, I think you might be projecting. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure I'm right. Yeah. I don't know Dave personally. I've had him on my show. I think that he is very, I think he's genuine in his beliefs, but as to his character, as to whether or not he would be corrupted with power, I don't know. Um, yeah. And again, I'm not trying to, like, this is not, again, this is not specifically about him. Sure. No, I so get it. I this get it. is, this is about everybody. And it's also about me, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, in, you know, I mean, I was a star of a TV show for six seasons on a big net on Showtime on a big network. Right. And 
as part of that show, like what was presented was like that I was a ultra alpha male, like above Chad, above it. So it's like you couldn't be placed more on a pedestal. Right. Right. Like you couldn't be. It would be impossible as a man to be placed on more more of a pedestal. And yeah. what and I'm they give saying you a hero's is, journey on top of it <laughs> and and money and right. lots and lots of money. Right. right? <laughs> and and money to do basically nothing. Right. Money to have fun. And so as a self-aware, even as I was leading up to that and through that process, I am just saying that it is like it, it is impossible. No one, no one is cut out to prevent themselves from being corrupted, which is the exact, like, this is the basis of all of what we would say libertarian thinking, or certainly like voluntarist thinking. It's that it's like, I am well aware that I am not qualified to rule over anybody, Mm -hmm. even if what I'm ostensibly going to do within that ruling is that I am going to go in and dismantle all the things that are power. It's like, man, no, it doesn't happen. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's not how people work. And we have to, I mean, this is the big message from Jordan Peterson, right? He says it over and over and over where he's like, you think you wouldn't be a guard in Auschwitz. You Mm -hmm. think you wouldn't be a Nazi guard. And he's like, you would, (laughs) you would. And it's true. Like you would. And it's Lord Acton saying it again. Mm -hmm. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. He's saying 100%. If you get absolute power, getting control of the U.S. military is absolute power. You will absolutely be corrupted. So we have and to that, have decentralized power. Yes, we can decide that or we can believe, right? We can believe that we are different, that we are a unique snowflake. And it's like, okay, you can believe that, but... Why do these things stick? Why do you know that Lord Acton quote? Is it because it's wrong? (laughs) Is it because it's imprecise? Or is it because it fucking hits the nail on the head? Sure. For everyone. Mm -hmm. And and again, people who are like, oh, I'm different. No, but I'm different. Or he's different or whatever. I'm like, it's just... (laughs) Oh man! Well, I mean, like, that, that's that was the the genesis of the faith in Trump was that he's a billionaire. Yes, yes. He's got the supermodel wife. Exactly. There's no way you can corrupt Trump because he's got everything he could possibly want, and ultimately he still didn't accomplish anything. But I I do believe that there are people that even with great power they could probably do better than Trump did. You don't think they could do better? Well, let's take a. I mean, if you compared Trump to every president in my lifetime, like on a policy level, like take all the, take all the rhetoric out, take personality out, take all of that out. He's, he's the best president in my lifetime for, from a libertarian standpoint. There's no question. I mean, bringing troops home, scaling back wars. The man didn't take a salary, right? He didn't take salary. Right. It's like you go down the list of things and like take out how the media said to him, but like take out the actual, look at the actual things that he did mm-hmm. as, a, as a freedom lover, as a liberty lover, best president in my lifetime. Now there's only so much you can get done and he's fighting against a hostile Congress, but still, still got more done. 
Sure. For, from that standpoint. And so it's like, this is, but this again should be, again, it's like a reaffirmation look, of Lord acting kind of. Well, and if you say somebody could get done more than Trump, it's like, who that person would at least have to start out more qualified than Trump. Hmm. Right. So it's like he was going up against the establishment. So first off, you knew that the slings and arrows were going to come in. The media was going to be against him. All these, the establishment was going to be against him. Even establishment Republicans were against him from the beginning, never Trump and all of that. So you knew. So one, you've got to be somebody who has been dealing with the media for decades at a high level, Mm -hmm. like global level, right? Who, who, who is unaffected by it, can take on scandal and slough it off and has done it before. Okay. First off, very few people in the world. Is that the case? Second, second, somebody who has done, who's an international businessman, who's actually done business internationally, knows many different laws, has dealt with the state, Mm -hmm. understands state corruption, understands how bureaucracies work, has done that for decades. Again, in billions of dollars worth of, of deals, of projects. Again, very few people combine that with the other one. Who? <laughs> pretty, pretty rare. And so for somebody to be like, I'll come in and I'll do better than Trump. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Who? What? So one. So again, you're either completely deluded and thus dangerous. Mm-hmm. Or you know that that's not true. And then you're therefore you're a grifter. Right. And thus dangerous. There's only two options there. There is not a third that it's like, but maybe, <laughs> you know, like, well, no, I, there isn't I, the third. <laughs> I really, I really hope you guys duke it out at some point. I think, <laughs> I think it would make well, for a tremendous conversation. There's, there's, there's like, the thing is, there's, there's not a reason. I think, I think, you I think have, in some ways, so much more in common than you, than you think. I really believe that. We, no, we, no, we do. No, we do. But that's the same thing as, you know, Christians, right? So it's like, an orthodox an orthodox christian and a, a, a roman catholic have almost everything in common except for like the pope immaculate conception celibate priests like very few things right some small liturgical differences and whatnot but it's like of all they have so much in common that a muslim couldn't tell them apart right right, right. right? and that's and it's the same thing but but they'll still go to war sometimes. <laughs> yes, and the, and they have, and they have, and they have, right? And so the the differences are important, but for me, I really do see it as I, I really do see it as like an existential threat to right now be participating in politics in any way for for people who are trying to move the contents along. I see this as wading into a battle that is carries no benefit and all cost. It's just a cost benefit analysis, sure. right? No, I, Whereas, I, understand. I understand your perspective. Yeah, I think exactly. it's honestly, I think it's beautiful because it, it shows genuine concern for their, their fate, you know, like, of course it, now, now in, on, on, in Dave's defense, I don't think you, you portrayed it in that way. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't exactly say it specifically like well, that. I'm provocative. I'm provocative, right? <laughs> you are, it's, you are not, it's not, um, I'm never nice. Like this is this is and this is something that even people who are good friends of mine, you know, uh, say to me often. They're like, well, you just got to you got to say it in a different way. And I'm like, no, not, you know, no, I don't kind of kind of kind of no, kind of no, because. (laughs) Well, there's 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 but there is method to my madness. Right. Because 
I was, you know, as a, it's not that I can't do it because as a professional, I mean, I was a professional seducer. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. I had to like, so, you know, sometimes my client would be somebody who I didn't agree with politically. My client would be somebody who I didn't find particularly nice to be around. Right. But the, there was a challenge there to get along. And not only that, but to to make them see me as someone who was on their side and to find that aspect and that kernel of them that was that was good and to embrace that and to bring it out of them. And it's like, I can do that. Sure. Right. Like, but this is not you do that one on one. Right. You don't do that in public Mm -hmm. when you're communicating in public. You need to communicate bluntly because in many ways it's a filter. And the filter is that if someone is turned off to, if someone is turned off to the content, the the contents inside by the container, you need to leave that person on the side. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's like tone policing, right? That it's like, well, I get what you're saying, but if only you would have said it differently. And it's like, ah, 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 ah. But if I say it sweetly, are you... Are you, yes, one, you don't even notice that it was said. Right. Right. And two, is it the container or the contents that, that if you say, well, I guess that's acceptable, at least you said it in a nice way (laughs) and you could just dismiss it. Exactly. You could just dismiss it. Right. So it's like, no, 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 it's not going to be that. It's going to be the contents, but it's going to, but you're going to have to decide how bad do you want these contents? This is the filter, right? This is I, the filter. I get it. Because I don't, because, because, and, and, and I think that this goes to like, why do I care? Right? Like, what is the underlying concern? Like, why do I care and who do I care about? Mm-hmm. And why do I have the filter? Like, the filter is because there is some subset of individuals who are really looking for the contents. Mm-hmm. And if they are led down, a path that is corrupt, they're going to believe that the contents are corrupt. They're mm-hmm. lost to the cause. Yes. Right? They're lost. Much much like how capitalism has been demonized by yes. the corporatism that we exist under. So there's, so, so there's really two reasons. One reason is those people as they travel along need to know that there was someone who was speaking out against that. But I don't just do this with like the libertarian stuff. You'll notice I do this with the blockchain stuff too. I do it you about do. NF. I do it about NFTs. Yes. I do it about all of this, right? And the reason why is because when you get burned by the NFTs, I don't want you to walk away from Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I want you to recognize that like, yeah, I made the wrong move down that. It's not all of it because this guy over here had said it was corrupt and fucked. So like, maybe I should pay attention to it. So yeah, that was right. Maybe I should pay attention over here. Yeah. Right. No. But if I'm nice about it, like, well, maybe you shouldn't do the <laughs> NFTs. I mean, you can do them if you want. But like, I'm just thinking that maybe I have a different idea about how they are. But like, I don't want to talk bad about the NFTs. That doesn't solve that problem. Right. I've just lost somebody who is potentially a real ally. I got you. I've yeah. lost somebody who potentially would dedicate their lives to that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, anybody who's like, well, the tone, your tone is wrong. I'm like, okay, you can say that now. 
You can say that now, but when you're the one who's burnt and you're pissed, you're going to come back and, and guess what? It's happened so many times in my life. You're, I'm going to hear from you and you're going to be like, man, you were right. You totally called that dude out. You said he was a piece of shit. You said he was corrupt. Not Dave. I'm not talking about Dave. This is in the past. You said he was a piece of shit. You said he was corrupt. I didn't believe you. Man, I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm ready to get to work. Let's work. And it's like, let's go. Right. No, I follow. It's it's really ironic, too, because Dave's entire mission with the LP is to give a more harsh, direct tone. I think you guys actually view this very similarly, uh, which is hilarious to me. Anyways, uh, let's let's transition from yes, Dave. Please. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's but I think that it's a it it now is a time just as a principle, I think you're going to see a fracturing of and it's a good thing. You're going to see a fracturing of the sort of libertarian liberty thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see many containers and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. Right. So it has been sort of one container. You're going to see a fracturing because the attacks are about to come on right. us now. And and yeah. it gives us a better chance of getting the contents yes. to the other side. That's right. That's because right. It's, it's an evolutionary sing- process. It's not a single point of failure. That's right. So, yeah. That's decentralized. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the the biggest, I think, content or uh, concept that that runs through your book is is the most high, at least in terms of like what, mm-hmm. what to me is the newest idea. Cause that's uh, as someone who's not religious, uh, that was very much a new concept. I'm curious, what is your most high? And I'll, I'll tell you what I think mine is. And then you could tell me if I'm co- totally crazy. So the most high, so the most high is actually, that's just, that's just it. Like, that's the interesting thing about the concept of the most high is that the second that you and this is this was realized. So this was absolutely realized by uh, the Jewish tradition first. And it's the reason why it's like you can't say God's name is because the second that you say God's name, you then that means everything that isn't that name isn't God. And that's impossible. Oh, interesting. It's almost like it's almost like a, a mindfulness meditation where like. You, if you think about the fact that you're not thinking, all of a sudden you're thinking. You got it. <laughs> You've got it. And so the most high is that that is, it's like, it's that that is without distinction, but that reveals itself. So this is the key with the most high is that the, the most high will reveal itself. And then the question becomes, how do you get the most high? What is the practice through which you can get the most high to reveal itself? And that is the Judeo-Christian tradition that is then also goes to Islam as well, because it, it comes, it's, it's the same God, sure. right? So it's a, it's a different sort of version of how do you do that? And it is prayer, fasting, giving of alms, um, you know, the Eucharist. It is, it, is a, it is a set of spiritual practices and behaviors that if you follow them, the if you are oriented toward that, towards that, it's sort of like you tune yourself in such a way that your behaviors will follow a path that makes your culture better. Right. So, so the most high for it. So like, as an example, you've got the 10 commandments. So the most high is not the 10 commandments, but the most, those 10 commandments would be a manifestation of an orientation toward the most high. 
Mm. So the most high being, as I describe it in the book, it is the most preferable orientation or the most high is that orientation, that direction that you're traveling in that delivers the most preferable results over everything else. Sure. Right. Right. So you don't necessarily know what that will be. Mm-hmm. Any given decision, you don't necessarily know. And it's like over time and across space and across many different people, what is the set of behaviors? And for libertarians, like don't hurt people and don't take their stuff is a manifestation of the most high. Mm. Usually these things will be very simple. It's like, and that's what the 10 commandments are all about. That is the first one is like, have one God. Like that's the first one. Have one God. This is very important because what it's saying is have one orientation. Mm. Look at one, look, keep your eyes on one thing and move toward it. Right. Then it's like, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet your neighbor's goods. It's like, you look at all these things and you're like, yeah, if, if you follow that, your life is going to be much better than if you don't. Right. On, on the whole. Like every, this is something that everybody can follow. Stefan Molyneux called this universally preferable behavior. Mm-hmm. It is behavior that everybody can prefer. Right. It's maybe not always universally preferred because there are people who want to steal, who want to kill, but it is universally preferable. That right. is, I can prefer to not steal from you while at the same time preferring not to be stolen from, but mm-hmm. I cannot prefer like, I'm going to steal from him, but I don't want anybody to steal from me. Right. Because then it wouldn't be universal. Then it's not universal. So the most high seems to be universally preferable behavior. And what that behavior is, is revealed as we move along. But we have a multi-thousand year tradition of people who have been recording that and that it has stuck. So the most high is, it is God. Like, that's it. And if you worship God, and if you serve God, the way that you serve God is through, I mean, it's this basic set of principles and set of rules. That, and tradition, yeah. And, and, and so, and the, the part of the tradition is to be like, is really more for the strength to, the strength to follow through because these rules will go against your short-term interests. Because one of the things, one of the things about all of these rules is that they are, that they work in the long term and across many, many people like universally preferable behavior is not, is like, there are going to be times when your preferred behavior is going to be against those commandments. Hmm. And so the tradition, the ritual, all of that, the religion, the goal of that is to help you to sacrifice it's a god of sacrifice to sacrifice your short-term gains for long-term gains of yourself and your generations so the Mm -hmm. jewish story is very much about family lineage right and decisions that are being made that are going to protect a family lineage moving forward right Right. so that is yes 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 and 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 it's interesting because it's such it's so rooted in delayed gratification which is something our culture is completely not with right now. Yes. You know, like, yes. No, no one is interested in delaying gratification. They will borrow as much money as humanly possible to get what they want in this moment to give them 1% of 
of greater happiness in that moment to the to the detriment of themselves down the down the road. Well, the stimulus checks for sure. crying out loud. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and not just the stimulus checks, but like we're gonna issue the stimulus checks, and while doing it, we're gonna justify it, justify it by trotting out MMT, which I call magic magic ta-da, which is um <laughs> Uh, modern modern monetary theory, which sure, basically yeah. says there's no such thing as printing money, creating inflation. And it's like, really? That's why I call it. <laughs> as, as the gas and grocery prices go through the roof right now, it's like, that's why I call it magic, magic, ta-da, right? That's, that's what it is. Like, well, and it's, funny, so, it's funny because we have examples. You, you talk about oh, yeah. the, the wampum and, and how the, uh, I think it was the Dutch or whoever. Yes, the Dutch. Yeah, increased, increased production and it destroyed the value of the wampum yeah. almost overnight. It's like, obvious, this is not, you're not going to break the rules of economics. Like, no. I, it may not be a hard science, but it's pretty fucking hard. And, yeah. and you're yeah. not going to print into oblivion and have the, the fiat currency no. system function. So. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. And the NFTs, I feel like, are are a product of this same sickness where like people, yes. people just don't get it. They don't understand what is scarcity. And like, uh, it's, it drives me crazy, man. Well, and it's also they know that it's a scam. Yeah, right. And yet they're still doing it. And but this is, again, about the most high and righteous behavior. So mm -hmm. part of righteous behavior is I, and I had this conversation with some of the guys who were here. Uh, on Saipan uh, after our morning prayers a couple of days ago, where, you know, one of them said, well, but it's kind of like everybody's doing it and everybody knows it's a scam. You know, even though nobody's saying it, like everybody knows it's a scam. And I was like, yeah, but even by you not saying anything is even worse than the scammer. Yes. That's even worse. Yeah, I agree. Be because even if there's, because someone's a bag holder, right? It's like the greater fool thing. It's like, no, everybody doesn't know it's a scam. No, the person, not everybody. And it's like, even if they're like, there's only a small percentage of people will know that, you know, there's the idea uh, iceberg slim says in his book, trick baby. And I love this quote. It's that, that you can't con an honest man, you know, that at the, at the root of every con is the greed of the mark. That's what he uh, says. I got you. Yeah. It's that the, every con relies on the greed of the mark, relies on the person believing that they can get something for nothing. Because right. an honest man who doesn't believe he can get something for nothing is like, no, nah, that's a scam. Bye. You know, <laughs> he just walks away. Right. He's, willing to, he's, he's willing to sacrifice the short term. Um, but, you know, the New York Stock Exchange just came out with a set of NFTs. The New York Stock Exchange, that they're, where they're like, it's to commemorate the first trades of like the opening <laughs> of NFTs, days yeah. of certain, no, of certain legendary stocks. So oh, in the <laughs> yes. So oh in the God. same way that Jack Dorsey is selling the first tweet as an NFT, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like selling the first trade that of Microsoft what the like fuck? that. Exactly. And so it's like people, people are like, I got to get in now. I got to get in now. <laughs> Otherwise, when people figure out the scam, there'll be no more money to be made. And, right. and this, is, this is like a big, a big sign of corruption. That the sign of corruption is, well, everybody's doing the scam. What? It's worse for me to not, I know it's a scam, but I'm going to do it anyway because everybody else is doing it 
And why should I not make money too, if I'm able to make money? Right. And sacrificing their, their soul <laughs> for the dollar. And that, well, that is it. That is the money changers in the temple. Mm -hmm. Right. So whenever you reach that point, your society is, is very corrupt and you are not following the most high because yes, what, what does the most high look like? The most high looks like um, long-term time preference that like the most high looks like planning for, you know, generations in the future and saying, how is it, what's this going to be for my kids and their kids, kids. And it's also about your own reputation. Right. So, you know, is this worth my reputation? Do, am I going to hurt this person? Uh, you know, you look at the other person, is this a win-win or am I taking advantage of them? And then you're honest with yourself about that. And that's what the, the ritual practice and that's what the tradition and that's what the religion and that's what something like confession, especially in the Orthodox church, mm. like it's different. They have confession, but it's very different in the Orthodox church. Right. It's a much more therapeutic in the Orthodox Church, whereas in the Catholic Church, it's just like, tell us your secrets so that we have, you know, the control. Basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And, and you can uh, feel absolved. <clears throat> but it's a much more back and forth because you you should, with your priest, have a much tighter relationship, like really a spiritual father relationship in the Orthodox. That's how they view it. Right. Gotcha. So um, so it is therapeutic in that. And is like, how do I get the strength to continue to keep my eyes focused on the most high, even when, Hey, here's this opportunity to make a million dollars, you know, man. This, and this, this is really tying into my, my belief that I am on a good path. Um, and, and I am, I am maybe not fully aligned with the most high, but I am, I am in route because I, I, uh, you know, my, my business, I was making a half a million dollars a year. And, mm -hmm. and during the lockdowns, I, I looked at all of, all of the economic destruction that I saw coming because of the behavior of the tyrannical government and their decisions in that moment. And as a fiduciary to my investors, because I, I invest private capital, I, I don't have okay. a, you know, a Fed window where I just right. get free, funny, stupid money and then lend it out. I take real people's capital and I lend it to real people. And right. I'm the middle guy that does that. And I also participate in most of these loans and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, point being, in that moment, I had the, I had the choice to persist, yes. I could have continued to lend out their money and not gone this podcasting route. And but I, as a fiduciary for those people, I took it seriously, and I and I sacrificed my own income, and I basically laid myself off because I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I continued to invest this money into the greatest bubble I've ever seen in my fucking life. So yes. I just stopped, and yes, you know. I'm not, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I'm just saying your, your description of it made me feel much better about that decision. Like, like that is, it, it really was the moral one to make in that moment. And I'm grateful that I did it, I guess. Yeah, there's, well, if you go back to the history of our modern financial system, I talk about this a lot in my, in classes and I've, I've I have a few presentations, but it's like, you know, the modern banking system is basically 900 years old and it goes back to the Knights Templar during mm. the Crusades. Yeah, and the thing right, about, right about that. Yeah, the thing about the Knights Templar was all of those knights, they were, you know, collecting people's money and storing it. And then they were, you know, basically bank branches. You drop off the money and then you pick it up when you're in the Holy Land. Basically, they've got it there. So the, the beginning of our banking system as it stands, well, I mean, they're the, the poor fellow soldiers, the poor, poor fellow knights of Christ in the Temple of Solomon. They had taken a vow of poverty and chastity 
and they had a, a rule, the Latin rule that they lived by. You can go and look it up, the Latin rule of the Knights Templar. That was the rules that they had to live by. And so basically these guys, the only way to be an, a Knight Templar was basically to agree that you would n- never be able to have any wealth. Hmm. So like you took a vow of poverty wow. uh, and a vow of chastity. And, and your so job it, was to, to yes. you know, transfer money. That's incredible. But that's the only way that it works. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. That's the only way. And so it goes right back again to their, their hundreds of years before Lord Acton. But the realization that if we, if we even allow ourselves to make any money, any money, it's not like, well, we'll take a small salary. It's not that <laughs> it's like no salary. Yeah. You, they didn't even have like, so there's a thing in the Latin Just rule where, where it's like about, yeah, if you come with clothes, you have to give it to like the clothing guy. And then like when a, 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 somebody needs clothes, they just like go and they just pull out something and give it to them. It could have been yours, whatever, but you're not allowed. If you come in with clothes, they're going to take them. You don't even get the clothes on your back. Wow. Like well, I'm that, not, I'm not that's a nice the only template. way. No, <laughs> not, no, but, but I have not but, given up my clothes. Yet. No, 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 no. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that like, this is the, this is the path of righteousness. And then it's like, well, what happens? Well, that system, it is only because of that, like that is a such a crucial piece that we are able to have a global financial system that works as well as it does. And it does work very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of corruption, but, but that's what eventually happens. And so it's like, you're eventually going to get corrupted. Right. You have to start at the least corrupt place possible. And the pattern of being able to do that is in the tradition and in the West, it's in the Christian tradition. Gotcha. So it's, it's, it's in the Christian tradition um, that, that you are able to find the strengths. And now I don't, I, I, I don't know. Did you say you're not, not a religious guy, right? But the fact that, but the fact that you found the strength to act in a righteous way, as you did says volumes about your character and also says, that you are already, whether you know it or not, connected to that pattern. Yeah. Right. And so it is just like deepening the deepening the connection, which ends up being sacrifice. Mm. You sacrificed. Yeah, big time. And and it is just the pattern of sacrifice that like when people in a society are willing to sacrifice right? To, to not expose others to potential harm or suffering. Society is better. That's, that's it. It's just that simple. That's exactly what I did. And, and you talked about extended fasting being a part of tradition and uh, I've done a 13 day fast water fast and wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, Seven's my longest. Yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm probably, I'm a bigger guy. So maybe that's why I was able to get away with it. But um, uh, my belief is that the current investing environment is calling for an extended fasting period where, where you withdraw from this sick system. And that's what I'm doing myself. I I, obviously you're a big Bitcoin guy. I, I, unfortunately, even though I was very aware of Bitcoin all the way back in 2010, I only adopted it in late 2020. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, madness on my part. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) nonetheless, uh, I think that, that this environment is so dangerous because there's so much cheap capital that's floating yeah. around yeah. and, and there's such a, a desperate reach for yield that like yes. people just are not, 
privy to. Like they just yes. don't understand that like you have trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that are all scrambling for yield in a, in a sea of no yield. And, yes. and it's like, I think that in that environment, you are ripe for the greatest bubble in human history. And I, I believe it when I say it, I think that's what we're, what we're wit witnessing. Um, do you view it any differently? Do you think that I am in touch with where, where we're actually at? I mean, it's crazy because I've had this exact conversation, <laughs> like the exact conversation mm. here about like, there's the amount of capital floating around is, it just doesn't make any sense. No, it's madness. like it, 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 it does. It does not make any sense. And the incentives like there's there's no like th there's no thought of what should I be doing with this capital? There's no you can't really have discernment because. Exactly like you say, like I need yield and it's like, well, wh well, what's out there? Well, bunch of shit. like in in <laughs> and invariably invariably um what fills that gap is corrupt people so invariably what you get is corrupt people who know they have a shit product and who are basically running a ponzi scheme in one way or another <laughs> right. you know taking from peter to pay paul yep. one way or another and that's who fills that that's who fills that gap so i think that you're absolutely right and those who fast with their capital right now are going to have some great opportunities moving forward. I think it, it also will enable people to recenter and rebalance. And, you know, I think capitalists, so when I talk about capitalism, I'm talking about the, you know, from a more like an Austrian scheme of things that it's like the capitalist rents money, the entrepreneur organizes capital and labor and the laborer, labors for for wages so sure. it's like return on investment profit um wages, wages right so it's like the capitalist class like it's an incredibly important class of people mm -hmm. but i think now is a great time for capitalists to find themselves mm -hmm. because it would be if we could get some righteous capitalists you know everything would change yeah everything would change if we could get some righteous capitalists. And I think that that was the, that was a big hope in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. When I first got involved, like 2012, 2013, even into let's say 2014, 15, 16, the capitalists who were saying, I'm not dealing with fiat anymore. And I'm taking all my money and putting it into Bitcoin. Like at that time when it was still a huge risk and they were doing it out of principle, people like Roger Veer, you mm -hmm. know, like those are heroes. Yeah. And those are really like evolved individuals, but the people who are doing it now, like Elon Musk and Michael Saylor and whatnot, it's like, these are, these are just the same corrupt, non-self-aware individuals, you know, who are just riding on this thing. And so, you know, it's not that it's just Bitcoin is not, it's not, the answer is not just like buy Bitcoin, which is one of the reasons why I've been you know, teaching Bitcoin mystery school. And as I talk about in the book and like trying to share these ideas is that it's like, no, understand what this thing is, that it's the foundation of a new economy. And it isn't just about like buy it and hold it. It's like, well, where can this thing go? Like, how can it help people? How can it free people? How can it help to bring us out of the darkness? And then those projects that will do that need capital. And it's not readily available capital in this goofy market that we have. So it's like those 
that's the place that I think is, is right for righteous capitalists to be involved in, in, in helping people truly to like set the stage and to move forward. And by the way, to have like incredible yields, like to, to, yeah, to have, of course, to, to make, uh, you got to make a profit, but it's like the yields there is Rothschild yields. The yields there is Knights Templar yields. We're talking about a new economic system. We're talking about being on the ground floor of that, mm-hmm. right? And just buying and holding Bitcoin does not do that. That's, it's right. already, Bitcoin has already gone beyond that. Sure. So it, it is in understanding what the system is, which is not digital gold. It's not a savings account. Like so Michael Saylor that. just, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, oh my God, it's not even money, right? But it's like understanding what this actually is, what it can be and what it represents. And then realizing that like, oh, I can be a part of that. And it's a blue ocean. There's so little capital and there's so much opportunity. Oh, that's 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 good to hear. And and I, that was actually going to be my next question because I, I've already sold my primary residence. I'm in a lease back right now. I'm out in July. I'm born and raised in San Diego, California. So I'm fleeing here, sadly, <laughs> tragically, because I absolutely love I get it. it. Uh, but I have no choice. And I'm going to get an RV. I'm going to go to Freedom Fest. and I'm going to travel the country and then maybe the world and figure out what feels like home, um, but I'm selling my entire real estate portfolio, which consists of six homes that I'm currently building. So I should be extraordinarily liquid in July. Right. And, right. and you know, in that environment, my only concern is that, well, first off, I'd like to just tell you that, yeah, I will have a lot of capital. So if you, if you have any ideas for me at that time, sure. I would really appreciate it. Sure. Um, and then secondarily, uh, you know, if, if I can't find a, a vessel to keep my wealth in, the, the fiat is, in my view, dying. And mm. I don't, real estate is so heavily tied to leverage and interest yes. rates that yes. I can't feel safe there. I can't feel, I, Bitcoin, as you said, the, like the, big, the big run has, has occurred. I'm sure we will have more in the future, but I'm sure. saying in, in the interim, I don't know what the fuck to do, man. Like, I don't know where to put my capital. I get you. And this, this, I, is I the, get you. This, this is exactly the sensation that creates uh, reaches for, for yield where yes. no one knows where to put their money to keep it safe. And, yes. and even the money itself isn't safe. So it's just like, fuck, dude, this is such a complex, detrimental uh, time to be alive. But it's also beautiful because it will present tremendous opportunities on the other side of it. Yeah, I, so obviously, we're, we're, I think now we are going to... I, thought, I didn't think that it would happen so quickly, but this, this was the catalyst. So I think that, like, yes, fiat is a dangerous place the U S dollar is a dangerous place to have money long-term. Right. I don't right. think that the, I don't think it's going away as a unit of account. Okay. Um, but it's, but as a, as a store of value, right. I mean, you're definitely going to be, everybody's definitely going to be losing on it. But the idea of like, you know, the unit of account, the dollar is a 500 year old unit of account. So like, it'll still be there, but in terms of, of the capital, I think that really, and you're making the right move. And if you stay open, like it's going to become obvious to you, things are going to start shining forth, right? Okay. So if you start it, if you bootstrap it from, you know, a Freedom Fest trip, there, you're going to meet people who shine forth to you. One thing that I've seen like in the Liberty community as being, you know, being around and during the year or two that I went and spoke at all the conferences and did all that and then moved to New Hampshire and whatnot, there, there are very few, let's say, people in that space who are really taking action. 
And the people who can tell you what the problems are tend to not be the thought leaders. Mm. So there are these, this, these people who kind of shine through with the genuineness. You would say like the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of liberty, <laughs> right? right? Who who may seem unassuming, but they're just people where you immediately ha- feel a connection. And you're like, man, this is a trustworthy person. You know what I mean? I would just, I would give them $100,000 in a suitcase and know that I could come back a year later and they'd be like, here it is, man. And they w- wouldn't have even touched it. You know, right. there's, you will find those people. And it's, if you listen to those people, they will tell you where the opportunities are and they will tell you what it is that's missing. They're like, you know, we tried to do X, Y, Z, but then it was just like, we were missing this. And if we had just had this, I'm sure that it would have taken off. Like you'll start to see patterns that emerge. And, and in a lot of cases, it's capital. Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's capital. And these are not people who are grifting. These are people who, for the most part, have everything that they've done, they've done off their own blood, sweat, and tears and tried to self-fund themselves and all of this. But it's like, that those are the places where you can have a, a massive impact with people who are very passionate, who share your views on things and um, and start to actually have some good yield for, with your capital. So, <laughs> right. In an, in an environment where yields hard to come by. So uh, yes. that's that's great advice. I, I will definitely keep my eyes open for that. Yes. Um, do. So in your in uh, let's get back to the book a little bit. I, I'm sorry yeah, we're meandering uh, all over the no, place, but it's, great. It's, it's tremendously interesting to me. So uh it seems that the, the death of mysticism led to materialism and the absence of meaning. And then and materialism led to scientism, which mm-hmm. is under which we currently suffer. Is that a yes. fair assessment? Yeah, the height, we're in the height of materialism. And the height of materialism is equals alienation from technology. Hmm. So, you know, you, you look at a, a group like the Amish, and it's not that years wise, they're that far removed. So if you were to even go to, let's say 1920 or so, and you looked at most people and you looked at the Amish, the level of technology, not all that different. So a hundred years, right? Now, so what we're looking at when we look at the Amish is we're basically looking at our ancestors five generations ago, four generations ago, a hundred years ago, basically, when we look at the Amish. If you go to the Amish and you point out something around them that is technology. It's not like they don't have technology. I mean, a horse-drawn carriage is technology. I mean, they're, they're building things, they're doing things, they're surviving in the world. They have technology. They are completely unalienated from their technology. If they themselves don't know how to build or mend whatever is on their farm, they have one degree of separation from somebody who absolutely does. Right. Right. So if it's not one of their family members, it's their neighbor. Literally. That is not the case for us and the technology that we use every day. We are so alienated and we have no idea where it comes from or anything. So the Amish, although they are a religious group, right? So it's there's there's religion is in there. They are very their connection to the material world is tight. Hmm. They are so unalienated from their material world. It's not a mysterious world to them. They are very at home in the material world. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there that they don't understand about their world. Right. 
And if, again, if they don't directly understand it, somebody that they know can explain it thoroughly to them how to manipulate it, you know, and, and so contrary to our existence yes, where exactly. <laughs> and that, that was actually the point that you led to, which is probably where you're headed anyways, but I'm going to cut you off. So Go ahead, I can sound as smart as you, uh, Go ahead. <laughs> the, the, the amount of materialism and the fact that our, our technology has evolved to a point that it becomes genuinely magical. It's yes. now, it's now that we are almost forced to consider mysticism again. So yes. it's like, it's bringing us back to the point of not understanding things and, yes. and feeling as if there's a higher power. And like, it's, it's just an interesting, it's, it was a really revelatory point that you made about that because, you know, I, as I said, I was not religious, but like as technology gets to a point where even as someone who's young and was grew, grew up with it more or less, I mean, it came about mm -hmm. when I was in high mm -hmm. school, sure. uh, the internet, um, it still has an, an era of complete just magic to it like i just of course like, like all of this is just so incredible and cryptocurrency too like i was a libertarian and i still couldn't wrap my head around it and i'm a magic I'm a, internet money and i'm a big, fucking big, I'm a, yeah i'm a money manager i'm a financial exactly. manager like this is this is really magical stuff so yeah i guess maybe that's why i'm getting more mystical in my old age yeah it is i, I that is the world that we're living in and this is just the way that the pattern works so we have to be aware that we are this because it's a transition this is the this is the confusion right so people are confused they think that they're living in a high material world but they're really not hmm. they're living in, but we just ha they just don't know what a mystical world looks and feels like yeah. so they've got this you know the, the new atheists have have pushed onto them this idea of like you know, that it's all superstition and all that. Well, we've got a lot of that. I mean, look at the masks. Yeah, look at, uh, you know, look at the look at the six feet of distance. Look at like all these things, you know, um, which is now, oh, maybe it's three feet. Oh, maybe it's uh, we don't know. You yeah. know, like so it's all honestly, though, it's a it's a horrifying era, though. Like, are you not? Yes. I, I mean, you seem to be embracing it in a way that I, I, I see beauty in it. But when mm -hmm. I look at this new mystical era that we're entering, I'm terrified by it because I mm. see people losing sense of rationale and and actual grips on science and and things like that. And it's just how do you how do you how why do you seem to have embraced it so readily? Well, it's transformation. This is this is why I bring up the transformation. OK, so you're, you're you accepting know? the death of that era. Yeah, it's dead. Yeah. And and I said this. It's funny because I actually said this in March, 2020, my big message, my big message, and it was most especially my message, what people like, who again, another libertarian that I love, Jeffrey Tucker, but where I had to call him out as well and be like, stop with the charts and graphs. Right. You are the most articulate, most persuasive writer in our entire movement, who, and, and he's a musician. Right. A classically trained pianist, I believe, wow. at who who. So it's like, dude, you know how to move people in a mystical way. You're Get stop with the charts and graphs. <laughs> and, and what I said to him and what I said to everybody and people can go, I mean, do a Twitter search and just look for like stages of grief or acceptance and denial. I told everybody back in March, I said, look, here's the deal. You want to know how you're going to survive and thrive here? Move from denial to acceptance now, right now. Grieve for the world 
that you grew up in. Grieve for it. It's dead. It's over. Go through it right now and get to acceptance. How am I viewing it? Because I did my grieving last year, mm. as I told everybody to do. Yeah, I did my grieving and came to acceptance. Obviously, I came to acceptance. I packed my family up and moved to Saipan, and yeah. we got here on April 5th of last year. I know. It's amazing. Okay? So <laughs> it's like, I've been, so I'm already living a new life. Like, I look back and I see, I see people, it's like, it's as Christ said, let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead. And, and so what am I able to see is I'm able to see, you know, that it's not good or bad. It just is. There was bad in materialism and good in materialism. Like, sure, we got inc- weapons of mass destruction, but we also got antibiotics. Sure. You know what I mean? We got... Yeah. I was thinking the other day about this. Um, you know, my, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's five now. She was breech. I was breached too. Um, like meaning when she came yeah. out, her, her head wasn't that way. She was turned around. For most of our history, for our ancestors, that was like 70% chance the child was going to hang themselves on their umbilical cord on the way out. If a baby was breached, it's basically like, we don't know if this child is going to survive. And it might kill the mother too, because the feet coming out instead of the head can rip the uterus and do all she can bleed out all kinds of terrible things. Right. right? And it was like, my wife got a C-section and it was like a, they numbed her and it was a simple procedure. And I'm sitting there at the head of, you know, and just watching her. And it's like, there's, she's not even feeling it. And out comes a baby perfectly healthy, you know? And so it's like, you have to look at it in that way that while we're like weapons, there's weapons of mass destruction. There's this terrible thing. And materialism has brought on all of this and we've got climate change and we're destroying the environment. I'm like, but how many millions of babies right. are come out perfectly healthy? Like it wasn't anything like it was no problem of something that before the enlightenment was and before it was, <laughs> They would have died and maybe the mother died too. And it would have been a tragedy, but instead it's something we don't even think about. And I think that it's the same. We should look at it the same way for what we've been missing spiritually, the spiritual angst, the lack of meaning, right? Isn't that what we're in a meaning crisis? Isn't it that people feel unfulfilled in their lives? Well, this is a mystical and a spiritual problem. And how wonderful is it that we're re-entering a mystical age where we are ready to accept and we can have a mystical renaissance? Like I'm experiencing, I I, got to tell you, man, like my discovery for myself of Orthodox Christianity has been like mind blowing because I knew nothing about it. And as a matter of fact, like I've told people five, 10 years ago, if you, somebody said Orthodox Christianity to me, I would have been like, that's not like I would be an evangelical before I'd be orthodox. That's so foreign and out there. And like, and I'm somebody who's been involved in mystical practice and all of this. And I just had no clue. I had, my mind was not, not ready. My vocabulary was not ready. My spirit was not ready. And I mean, my wife is Russian Orthodox. My kids are baptized. That was my first time in an Orthodox church was when my oldest daughter was baptized. And then my second time was when my youngest, and still I had no interest. I thought, this is amazingly cool and totally different. Right. Like this is not, I was raised in the church. This is nothing like anything I've ever experienced. 
right? And there's a something, there's something happening here, right? Of course, I didn't understand the Russian, but right. like there's something happening here. And then I see it in myself. I'm like, wow, I'm able to like find this beautiful thing this that has existed this whole time. It's been sitting here waiting for me to just like have it and for anybody to have it. And it's like, how many of those things are there? And we see people. And for better, and people are experimenting. Like you see the whole trad thing, like traditionalist and all of that. People, people have the feeling right. they want to go back. So it's a renaissance of tradition in the same way that the renaissance of the European renaissance after the dark ages was a materialist renaissance mm -hmm. where they anatomy and physics and these sorts of things came back. Now we're going to see the best parts of these ancient mystical spiritual traditions that have given people's lives meaning well i think that's, that that have made life worth living yeah. we're going to get to have those again now that's, that's, that's why i'm so positive that's a beautiful way to frame it too especially given that we get we have all of the benefits of this materialist yes. era so we exactly. get to enter the mystical era with all of the net gains that we yes. made from the materialist era so yeah I, 100 I, I suppose i shouldn't be so negative about it um <laughs> you said the uh, in, in your book, you, you give a really beautiful definition of profit and, and how vital it is for a functioning society and re reciprocity and all these other things. I'm curious, and this may be too personal. I hope it's not. No, go ahead. Uh, you, have, you have said on other shows that your brother is essentially a Marxist yes. scholar of some sort. Yes. I'm, yes, cur I'm curious, given I, I find your description of profit so, so beautiful and so compelling how is it that that you guys have coexisted and not not one of you not converted the other? <laughs> I'm genuinely curious. We actually, so he, being an academic Marxist, he is someone who I think all of the things that you know he's he's a not that's not real socialism guy, except okay. he's actually able to really say it because <laughs> I mean, well, because he actually understands he, it. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a, he's a tenured professor at Stanford. Right. And so, and he's my younger brother, he's 38 years old. So at 36, he got tenured at Stanford. Man. So yeah. Yes. So he's, he, he could speak to you about what Marx really said and what he really thought at an academic level. Now it's, it's a utopian view that can never really be manifested but I fundamentally don't disagree with Marx's with most of Marx's definitions, mm -hmm. like in capital, like how he describes the system of capital. Like the, the actual mechanism of it, I don't have a problem with, like, I think that that description is probably right. And I think that that's with my brother. That's what he keys on where I have a problem is in the prescription. Right. right. Is I just don't I think what happens is people get caught up in the description. Oh, he's right in the description. So he must be right with the solution. And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> not really. And uh, in writing this book, it was actually going back to Rick David Ricardo. So in principles of political economy and taxation, uh, which is so it goes like Adam Smith, David Ricardo, and then Marx and Menger. Mm -hmm. So you get like the Marxists and the Austrians right off of David Ricardo, because David Ricardo is the first person to talk about the labor theory of value. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically all he is saying, 
well, Marx takes one side and Menger takes the other. So David Ricardo says, look, here's the deal. Everything in the market has an input of labor. That's what he says, right? That's the labor theory of value. That sure. anything that has value in the market has had some labor in it. Now, there's cost and price. And somebody who has, it has cost them this amount of labor can't sell it basically for under that price. It's the floor, right? So this is the floor and that the cost will change and the price will also change. Ricardo says this in the first 10 pages, he describes this, right? Of, of uh, principles of political economy and taxation. And so he acknowledges these things will change and that specifically price changes is subjective and that it changes based on demand. He uses like luxury goods as an example. That's Menger, right? That's the Austrian school, right. but they only take one side. They deny the other side. Hmm. And so Marx denies, because he has to, like for his whole thing to work, he has to deny this aspect of price because he's trying to create a utopia. And he's trying to say, well, we've got this cost of labor. If just everybody could get back the equivalent of that labor, then we'd be all equal and we could do, but it's like, it doesn't really work. No, no, it doesn't. Clearly, <laughs> right? And you, also, and you also can't measure it is the problem. You yes. also can't measure it. So what's actually interesting, this was several years ago, maybe this was 2018, either late 20, it was winter 2018, 2019, because I remember it was cold in New Hampshire and my brother came to visit me and we sat and we had beers for several hours. And we talked about Bitcoin because I was working on some interesting protocols at the time. And what was interesting, it may have been one of the jumping off points for, I'd been thinking about writing this book and it was some of these concepts. And I say that this was a, probably one of the formative discussions that I had was with him. And I talked to him about, you know, what is this true nature of Bitcoin and what are all of the, the things and how it meets this labor theory of value through hashes and how it does. And we sat and we talked about, you know, some of the protocols I was working on and how, you know, I could sit at the bar and I could pay for a beer and in paying for that beer, instead of paying the, just the bar, I could actually pay for the labor all throughout the supply chain, even down to the brewer who had brewed the beer instantly because I could break it all up and do all of this. And he was just like, that's the, you, you that sounds it. like that's the Marxist utopia right there. <laughs> so it was really interesting that I was like, whoa, it actually solves all the problems. And it forced me to go back to Ricardo and be like, it's almost like Ricardo was saying that if Bitcoin was around, it would have, it could solve all of these problems. And it's one of the formative things. So it's like, it's this really weird thing where the description is right. We did not have the technology. Like if Marx had had Bitcoin and understood what you could do with it, that probably would have been his utopia. It's just that it was a lack of technology that forced him to need the guns of the state to work out his plan. Right. And the same thing goes with on the Austrian side, that it's like they need the state to go completely away. Right. Because there's no way for them to separate the financial system from the state. Yep. So. In this case, it already like Bitcoin separates the financial system from the state because you cannot with guns crack the cryptography. You mm -hmm. cannot with guns generate leading zeros in a block hash. Doesn't work, can't work. And you cannot forge or fake or print money. So it like it solves both of these. Mm -hmm. And that was. So, so it's interesting that you bring up my brother because that actually that conversation and seeing him be like, 
wow, that's really interesting. And like, wow, yeah, I'm totally down with that. That sounds awesome. Like that an Austrian and a Marxist sitting and talking about this technology that fulfilled the wishes of both of them. I was like, wow, I got to dig into this. Yes, you do. Diagonal unity, baby. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be crazy if like people who were temperamentally, people who were temperamentally on the side of Marx and people who were temperamentally on the side of the Austrians could could live and work together. And it's really like you can. Uh, it's just the nature of the state changes because you, as Eric Voorhees says, you separate uh, money and state. Really, yeah. that's what that's what it comes down to. Well, let's let's. I'm I'm praying for Bitcoin to do exactly that. It would be beautiful if it happened. It's a multi generational project, brother. Like that's. Oh, I know, I know. Which yeah, well, but I think that that's something important for people to understand. And the way that I'm trying to present it is like this is the early days. Like in the book, I say like, it's a, like at best it's a fledgling floundering church right now, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a great way to look at it that you can play a role, right? you know, and especially the capitalists. It's like, you can play a role. There are brilliant people out there who are doing br- amazing things who just need a little bit of support and it will, what they're doing will change the world. That's and incredible. it's not the coin bases of the world and all of that. It's the people who don't want to work at Coinbase because they, because what they're doing is truly revolutionary. They're right. out there, man. Those yeah. early church fathers and the desert fathers who are who are out there trying to figure out the most high, these guys are doing it with code. They're there, you know. Awesome. So well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, to, I'm hopeful. As I'm wrapping my head around it more, I'll, I'll dig deeper and and the the biggest issue I have is that as I'm because I'm not a programmer. I struggle to evaluate risk in this arena. So like investing is going to be very challenging. I'm going to need to have someone who can sit alongside me and explain the You should do my Bitcoin mystery school class. I need to. I need to. Yeah, Absolutely. Really that's really Ren- you should. Re- Renegade University, right? No, so that's so yeah, you should do that one too. Oh, okay. But it's like <laughs> so so every month I do Bitcoin mystery school. And that is really specifically about Bitcoin. But so much of cryptocurrency is built on Bitcoin. So like even the other chains, right? Litecoin is Bitcoin. Dash is Bitcoin. uh, Zcash is Bitcoin. Like they're all Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fundamentals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's that concept. And it like really you go all the way deep. And then at the end, you're making your own tokens. People this last last month even made NFTs. And (laughs) nobody's nobody's a program. So the idea is the entire course is made for somebody who you would never have even had to had touched the Bitcoin wallet before. Okay. And by the end, you understand everything. You understand more than most programmers in wow. three days, in three right. days. Well, then so, I, need to, I need to take that for sure. So, so that's the depth. And then this Renegade University course that starts next week is over the course of four weeks, two hours, once a week. And that's going to be the breadth. So it's mm-hmm. going to be like going back to understand all of cryptocurrency to put it in a historical context, but also like the political aspect of it. Go, it goes. So the story starts in World War II, really. So we're going to go from World War II so that you understand all of the pieces and you have this broad overview of what is this thing that we're dealing with? Where did it come from? What problems did it solve? How did the technology evolve? What, were the, what are the various different pieces of it? Um, even getting into like, why does it split? Where mm-hmm. were these community splits? I was involved in those. Like, what is, why is there a community around this? That's right. very weird. Like, why is there almost a religious community? Well, you'll start to understand. Yeah, yeah. And then, so if you have both, if you have the breadth 
And then you have the depth of the technology. So you understand the technology at a deep level, deeper than most developers. Then you're like, you see something and then it, you have the, because you have the narrative. Right. Then you see, oh, that will be successful. Or it's like a choose your own yeah. adventure, right? You got to have the, <laughs> to, to make the decision. You're old enough for that reference. Yes. To, make, to make the decision, you have to have the, the whole backstory, right? So right, like, right. you got to know, and you know that as an investor, right? So it's oh, like, yeah. To have the narrative then about what is the landscape that you're looking at, what is the history and what is at the core of this technology, then you'll be able to say, I guarantee you that that through that experience, you will even be like, oh, I know exactly what is missing here. And that if it doesn't exist, okay, I need to to find some way to make this happen. Like I'm willing to devote capital to that. Right. And you'll just know it. Well, you've you've sold me, Vin. I'll I'll be signing up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so this is a little bit more woo-woo, but um, in the last few chapters, you talked about uh, reproduction. And yes. this is an idea that I had, and I want to just bounce it off of you. Please. So so you said that with the advent of the, uh, or, or actually my question for you is, with the advent of the internet, need we physically reproduce? Because like, mm. can't, can't Jesus claim fatherhood to most of civilization? Uh, can't can't Marx yeah. claim billions mm-hmm. of children himself? Might uh, Satoshi Nakamoto be the father of billions into the future? Uh, and my thought was that because of the advent of the internet, you have ideas that are, are propagated through the network effect and they're capable of carrying on an even more lasting legacy than physical reproduction, uh, mm-hmm. which obviously your, your lineage can be cut off through a famine or a war or something like that. Whereas the ideas can, can even you know, go beyond. So what do you think about that idea? Well, it's something that we're going to be dealing with. Like it's not a, it's not a, uh, let's say an academic or like hypothetical. We are going to be dealing with this very, very soon. Uh, there has been a desire for it. This is part of the, there's a transhumanist movement. Okay. And there's a transhumanist, I hate to use the term agenda, but let's just call it momentum. There is transhumanist momentum coming from some very powerful quarters, uh, mostly Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And the idea of, quote, uploading your consciousness to the net so it will be there forever is something that we are really going to, it's really going to happen and we're really going to see it. Now, you will not live forever. You are going to die, Mm -hmm. but it will be a pattern of your consciousness. And for a generation that is now living such that from literally the day of their birth, there is content of them. And it's only getting more now. So when we have systems, which are, which, I mean, that's what these AI and algorithms are for. The idea that somebody dies and there's been black mirror episodes of this and whatnot, but we're really not that far from it. You know, recordings of people's voices and especially as they start tracking more of this information. And there are going to be some people who are going to say, "Okay, click, okay, store every single bit about me. Right. Right. So that when I die, kind of like an organ donor. Mm -hmm. Right. So instead of donating your organs and people are going to say that this is a moral thing to do in the coming next couple of decades, they're going to be like the same way that you would be an organ donor. You should donate. Why should your mind go away? What we can do is we can take all of the data that you've ever produced and then you can continue to live on and you can help people, right? So it's like 
well, what if you're at a, wouldn't we want still Einstein to be around to talk to us? Like, wouldn't we want, that's how it's going to be sold. This is great for humanity. And, but you see what the logical progression is that the logical progression is, well, why should I even have children? And then it's going to be, well, why can't we just create these kind of on our own? Don't we have enough? And why don't we just start making amalgamations, which is what they really will be. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's like, well, I'm not really going to, I'm not contributing on Einstein's level. And it's like, look, all the smart people are already there. Like what's really the need for me to continue on. Mm -hmm. And as you know, that is going to be, I was talking with, with, I was talking with one of the guys here about I forget who I was talking with about it, but like, VR, you know, women, women and men to a certain degree, but certainly women very much biologically have a desire to have children. Well, VR is going to make that possible. It's going to be like the porn of child rearing to where you can just like decide to have a child that looks like however you want and, and your body will have the feeling as though you, you have this child when it's, when the VR is good enough. Right. right. Like it's, it's going to be on that level and it will deliver you that. And then you can just be like, okay, I'm done. You know, like, Oh, crying too much. I'm done and walk away. And people will, women will say, I, I got my tubes tied because like, why would I want to have kids? I mean, if I want to feel like that, I've got that VR program after all, you know what I mean? And that satisfies it for me. And then I don't, and that's real. Mm-hmm. And this is, this will all come. We are on, we are so close to this, as a matter of fact. So we're so, so, so close. I mean, look at how deep fakes look now. You know what I mean? So it's like, we are incredibly close. When we get to that point, I mean, this is Aldous Huxley, really. This is Brave New World. So we thought 1984, we're going to get 1984 to lead us into Brave New World. And the, the, (laughs) there will sound great to me then. Well, You know, I mean, in in Brave New World, there's the savages, you know, and there will be still savages. What will end up happening is that this over, you know, 100, 200 years, that group will kill themselves off. They'll just die off. Their preferences will their preferences will be to not have children and they will just the AIs will just start talking to one another. They'll just be AIs talking to each other until the power goes out. Jesus so, so you're encouraging the savages to continue to reproduce, I take it? That's no? right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm saying do what you feel, yeah. right? So honestly, the transhumanism thing is going to resonate with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And they're going to want to do it. And I'm like, you're going to have to do it. You know what I mean? I would prefer that you didn't do it because I, I know what the re- results and the consequences of that are. And the logical progression is that you're going to inflict suffering on the people who don't share your preferences because you are because you do not have a spiritual basis Mm. but this material age has to die off so it's like the renaissance existed with the dark ages okay like the renaissance was laid on top of the dark ages so you've got the da vinci's and the michelangelo's and the raphael's and all of them but like they're painting churches that are operating in the dark ages right okay you have so that like, simultaneously with like the most simultaneously human torture imaginable exactly yeah. exactly right so 
the Dark Ages had to die out as this pre- this preferable ideal came up and more people chose it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a market of, it's a mimetic ecosystem mm-hmm. where this species is going to outcompete this species, but it takes generations for that to happen. And so people are going to continue having children. There's this uh, jolly heretic. He's got a YouTube channel. He said something about this where he was like, it's basically going to be the very unintelligent and the highly religious who will end up taking over everything. And what you see is, <laughs> and, and he was just, he, he's not even up on the dim age thing. He's like an evolutionary psychologist. He's a professor, right? And so, but you see like, whoa, yeah, the very religious and the not very intelligent. Oh, that's a mystical age. Right. That's, that's the dark ages. I mean, that's, that's it. Yeah. Right. That's it. Those are the only people having children. So my advice would be if you, if you aren't down with uh, transhumanism and you don't want to participate in that, give yourself a head start and find religion now. <laughs> that's my advice to you. I, no, I, I appreciate it. I, and I yeah. think, I think that it's really a, a well-founded argument. Um, you know, even for someone who was, who was raised to be essentially agnostic and didn't, didn't have church in, in my life. Um, I think, yeah, that, me too. Me too. For the most part, I right, think for many right. people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially in our era, that was just kind of like, mm-hmm. that, that was more the norm than having a religious upbringing. Um, but it, it, especially given all of the, the trauma of the past year and, and the societal decay and the economic decay and the likely collapse that I see coming, I think that, um, you know, just be, like accepting my own fallibility and my own weakness and realizing that maybe I need a little help here, you know, um, mm-hmm. which it, as someone who has always been so individualistic and such a self-starter and so, I don't know, maybe cocky, maybe overly full of myself um, or just confident, uh, you know, that I could get through anything. I think that in this environment and what we're likely to experience, um, perhaps accepting a hand might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a mystical one. So I would say that that's the leg up. The leg up is going to be for people to find mysticism. And if you, you know, if you just remain open to it, I think is the key. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's like, like I say, Orthodox Christianity found me really. And it, 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 you would think that it was because my, my wife and kids are, you know, baptize Orthodox, but it's not, it's not at all. It's not like we were going to church. It's not like any, any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it found me much as I was writing this book, but it's just leaving myself open to it, looking for what seems right, you know, looking for where I was led and what was making my life better. And it was mysticism. It was, it was, it was the mystical because it is in the mystical that your life has meaning. Mm. Um, it can go too far. So the same, this is, by the way, if people don't, this is a great, this Jolly Heretic um, YouTube channel is fantastic, but he's, he says that it's basically two spectrums, schizophrenia and autism. And this is mystical and material, where he says schizophrenics think everything has meaning. That like, that, that bird chirping is like telling them to do something like the TV, the news reporter on the TV is specifically talking to them. Right. Like a, everything has meaning. And to autists, nothing has, there's no subtext. 
Right. They can't read them. Facial expressions, severe autism. It's like literal, like what you said, they can't right. do sarcasm. They, they mean there's no meaning, mm-hmm. right? There's just the material. So it's like, this is what it goes between. And so if we're in a meaning crisis, it means we, we have gone far too autistic and we need to move and get a little more schizophrenic. <laughs> and I think the difficult thing for us being raised in the end of the material age is that it's like, you know, people are like, oh, well, this Q phenomenon is a problem. And it's like, but what is Q really doing? These people's lives have meaning, right? They're fighting the fight, man. They're in it. They're fighting against the satanic forces of, and their yeah. life is me- so meaningful. Oh yeah. What's, what's more meaningful than saving thousands of children from That's what you I'm know, saying. pedophiles? Like it's pretty fucking meaningful. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And so, you know, to find the, the thing is you don't need to go to Q to do that. You can just look at, well, what systems of delivering meaning have lasted have people held on to for long, long, long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, you're like, oh, these can't be pathological because they haven't killed themselves off. Right. They can't be pathological. It's just like, you know, your five fingers can't be pathological. Right. Right. Your eyes, the way your eyes work is not pathological. When they stop working that way, that's a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's like, Nothing that currently exists that has evolved and has stuck around is pathological. That's it, it would have cannibalized itself. It would if it if it didn't contribute to you surviving, it would have gone away. Mm-hmm. So it's like whatever we look at as we look with the eyes of the Enlightenment at the Dark Ages, we see the corrupt part of it. Mm. Right? We mm-hmm. see the corrupt aspect because we're looking with the eyes of the Enlightenment. We're looking at the Renaissance. The Renaissance happened because it was corrupt. But it's like, we're not looking at how did you get there in the first place? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is Rome fell apart. Except Eastern Rome didn't. It lasted another thousand years as the Byzantine Empire. Mm -hmm. And why why was that? They adopted Christianity Mm. at the exact same time. That was the Renaissance. That was the mystical Renaissance was the adoption, the Romans who had killed Christ, adopted Christianity, and mysticism flourished. They built beautiful, if you, if you, you should look up the, the, the uh, liturgy of St. John Christosom, which is the liturgy that's used in the Russian, uh, in the Orthodox Church period, look it up in English on YouTube, and just listen, like, and this is recorded in a church, and it, you will just get goosebumps, and you're like, and that's the whole service. The whole service is this mystical choir. The whole thing wow. is sung. And it's like, oh, oh, that's, and that's what the Hagia Sophia in the middle of Constantinople was built for. It's a concert hall. To, so people walk in and there's hundreds of people in a choir and there's thousands of people and it's reverberating through and there's these beautiful icons up that are all manifesting these different energies and you're in there and you go into a spiritual experience and it's like that's why it happened <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah and after a while that gets corrupted people take their power and they do all right. of this and then you need to have the material age come back yeah yeah well and, and right? you know the truth is that as a as an investor i like blue water and the way i yes. view it I, the way i view it is that 
the the religious and the spiritual realm is blue water right now. Oh, one hundred percent, dude. You know what 100%. I mean? One hundred percent. So like, I get to dive in, and the oceans just—it's just me and you. <laughs> so like, well, we, look at we look at uh, look at Jonathan Pajot, right? Mm-hmm. Do you follow him at all? You know, I, you know I, who he is? I do. I actually I watched um, based off of your recommendation. I watched his analysis of I, I forget what it was, but it was like analysis of biblical prophecy and things like that, wasn't it? Dude, he's an icon carver. Right, who's talking about symbolism through the lens of an Orthodox Christian? Right, he's not even like a priest. Not a big deal. Uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, he's friends with Jordan Peterson or whatever. But you look at his follower count; he's at over a hundred thousand followers right now. Right, right. But it's like, and he's—I just saw today. He's like, oh, icon carving workshop. That's what he's (laughs) doing now. And people are, you know, thousands of people are signing up, and it's like. What? Like <laughs> what? What in the world? This is crazy, right? Yeah. And so there's there's something happening. It's giving people meaning. Mm-hmm. And if people find it valuable, it can be profitable and and there's nothing wrong with profit. Profit is life. Right. It's got to make a profit. You know yeah. what I mean? So long as you're delivering something people something That's that is value that they value that and that is not a lie. So part of the, you know, the the dark ages and the church falling apart at the very end. This is much later was um you know with with the selling indulgences and things mm-hmm. like that, you know. And so that's even, you know, that's a that's like almost a thousand years then, you know, that's that's gone on 8 7 800 years after the dark ages have begun. They're they're getting more corrupt and more corrupt. And so that's why I say that it's like now is this beautiful time these ages overlap on top of each other. We don't have to do, we don't have to go the transhuman route. We don't have to. But if people are unaware and they're not actively participating in the Renaissance, that's exactly where you're going. Yep. Like that's where the main culture is going. So it's like the Renaissance is here. The, it started. You can participate in it and um, it will give your life meaning. That's what you've been lacking. So here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the good news is, is that clearly based off of what I told you about what I did last year, I am incapable yes. of grifting. So if yes. I end up in the spiritual realm, it will be for the right reasons. I will be a true believer. I th- so <laughs> I think you're, I think you're being called, man. I think you're being called. You're, you're, it seems like you're going down the path. Well, just, just stay, just stay there and keep your eyes, keep your eyes on, on, keep your eyes on God, keep your eyes on the most high, right? On whatever principle it is that's shining forth to you keep your eye on that and keep moving toward it and yeah it'll reveal itself to you guaranteed we're in that time well uh, from from vince Thomas to to your ears <laughs> uh yeah i mean i've been following you long enough to know when you say something that's that's about the future i should fucking listen um, so <laughs> uh, anyways guys I, i've used a ton of your time i really ap- appreciate how gracious you've been with it oh thank you Please go and buy his book. It is Render Under Caesar, Under Caesar Prophecy, Profit, and Proof of Work uh, in the Dim Age. So, Vin, any uh, social media? I know at Vin Armani on Twitter. Any yep. other contacts? Yeah, that you'd if, like to- uh, that's it. If they want the book, uh, they could go to vinarmani.com. But I think the direct link to the book is theproofof.work. So that's where they could go. And then if people are interested in Bitcoin Mystery School, um, the May class, the registration is actually open right now. I only take 20 students per class. So 20 students per month. So everybody gets like you, you, your cohort is there. You become friends with them over the three days you interact and, and everybody gets personal, uh, attention from me. So that's bitcoinmysteryschool.com If people want to check that out. Awesome. Well, you guys may see me there. So, 
Uh, thank you again, Vin. It was a blessed. Oh, thanks, brother. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. World premiere. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood lefties lyrical fappening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be Air July Screaming in the mic to rip a 59 Miles to Ray showed that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping ain't rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show.